You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Petchy. This is my show. Come on in, grab a beer, have a seat, uh, grab one of those Bear Republics out of the cooler and come join me. Uh, today, I'm excited. Today's guest is coming here to the studio in person. Um, I'm lying. I've already recorded it. So they came here. They came to the studio in person. And these episodes are always better because uh, we're not dealing with internet lag. We can see each other face to face and uh, we can uh, creatively fall in love with each other. And uh, today's episode is a great one for that. And uh, before I get into it, I just want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast on Instagram and in love with the process pod. That's in love with the process P-O-D on Instagram. So have you guys, if, you, if you've been going to my Instagram page, you've seen my posts. I have been using um, MidJourney, the AI artistic software that exists out there. And when I first heard about it, uh, maybe there are some of you listening who don't know what this is. So there is a specific room, chat room, a place in which this AI exists uh, on Discord. If you're using that chat program, Discord, which everybody was using privily, pretty heavily throughout the pandemic, uh, there's a place that you can go if you're invited into the group. I don't think it's public yet. I think you still need an invite. Um, if you're invited into the group to beta test this thing, you can go in and there's a prompt. And in that prompt, you can lay out a series of descriptions and this AI will try to craft an image based upon however the algorithm works. It's like finding resource photos all over the place and then trying to recraft an image that represents this line of text that you've written. It's pretty crazy. So like if you write, I don't know if you guys saw pictures, but I think we wrote like uh, duck at war with machine gun. And I posted some of the pictures of what the AI created on my Instagram page. It's wild. It's really interesting and it's not perfect yet. And it has a lot of trouble uh, creating um you know, certain parts of anatomy and faces end up being weird. Sometimes you'll see like three or four eyes on a, on a creature that you're making. So it's not a perfect science. And when I first heard about this, I got a little agitated and irritated. And I was like, well, fuck. Here's another great example of a bunch of tech nerds uh, that have created... Uh, a thing that will render another job useless, right? Another artistic job will be cheapened by technology. Uh, and if you want references of this, look at how digital photography and how inexpensive photography gear uh, affected photographers and how much they get paid, whether or not you can get paid to do that. Same thing can be said about music video directors, etc., etc., etc. And so there art had always seemed to be very much a sacred world in which it was about learning how to take your hand and move it to create the shapes that your brain was creating, right? Or your brain was envisioning. And so now apparently all you need to do instead of talking or hiring an artist is just go to this AI program and type in, you know, 
girls in bikinis on Lamborghinis, and they will the the artificial intelligence Skynet will create this image perfect, this render that is in your brain. Well, the truth is, is it can't do that. The truth is, is that what is in your brain and trying to get AI to translate what is in your brain is virtually impossible. It's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and then there's this whole process of like trying to describe what it is that you see, verbalize in descriptors that a program can understand uh, to replicate this image that you have in your head. It's, it's almost impossible to do. Um, but what I've learned playing with it is that uh, the computer will take these descriptors that I have, this sentence of what I think something should be, look like, the aspect ratio should be, what kind of lenses it was shot with, whether or not it has volumetrics and beams of light. All these things go into this very uh, hard-to-read sentence, and you pop it into this program, and then it starts to create stuff that I never even thought of. Suddenly it misread my descriptors and changed something and the ground looks weird or the sky looks strange. And I realized at that point, as I started to play with it, this is a tool. It's sort of like a wide open imagination tool. Something that will throw back uh, to you after you describe what you think you want. It will throw back something that is close to the vibe of what it is that you're describing, but something completely different. And I, I started to understand that this was a, a mind-opening, mind-altering tool for an artist. And it could be. The problem with it, there's still a lot of negatives with it, right? Same thing with NFTs with me. There's, there's positives and there's a lot of negatives. And I feel like the negatives are plagiarism. I think there's a sense of like, if I type in uh, make this image in the style of Van Gogh and it creates a Van Gogh painting, is that plagiarism? I mean, the painting didn't exist before, but it's drawing in that style. And you start to see this a lot with the kids that are using it and they're going to like concept art websites or places where current artists are working and just taking their names and popping their names in and you're getting what looks like artwork from a modern day concept artist. And if I was that concept artist, I'd be kind of miffed and pissed off about that. I get that. But it, it's, it exists right now. And what's interesting is that a lot of these concept artists, uh, and like today's guest, he's doing similar things where he's trying to put his own name into it, his own thing into it, and then use this program as a new type of paintbrush where he can describe to it what he would want as that artist and have it render out the AI's definition or the AI's example of what that would be in his style. Fucking weird shit. Really interesting stuff. It's a useful tool for filmmakers. It's a useful tool for storytellers um, to sort of help come up with worlds and universes that don't exist and really open your brain to new ideas. Uh, and you get a lot of weird shit, a lot of mind-melting shit out of this thing, which is like kind of scary and weird and fun. Uh, and and uh, speaking of mind-melting uh, mind art, today's guest is all about that. You guys know him. You've seen his stuff everywhere. Uh, if you drink liquid death, 
Uh, the skull on the liquid death cam can came from this guy. But if you guys are huge Adult Swim fans, if you guys like uh, animation shows, uh, he is the writer, creator, editor, uh, the guy behind Mr. Pickles. Uh, he also did a show called Mama Named Me Sheriff. Um, he is uh, an amazing artist. He does like really strange renditions and portraits. He's created an entire um, NFT series for Liquid Death. Uh, all sorts of really cool stuff. And I've loved his work for a while. And uh, getting him on the show was actually interesting because he did a film, because he also directs uh, and edits um, live action. And uh, he did a film with my buddy David Cruda. Once again, a name drop for Cruda. Uh, and uh, Dave thought that him and I would get along really well today's guest. And I'm talking about the uh amazing really cool chill dude another a fellow bearded man long bearded guy he actually is longer than my beard which is awesome uh will uh carsola is on the show today and uh will and i sit down we chat um we hang out we get real fucking nerdy uh we have a little therapy session between dudes uh, we're both about the same age we're both sort of dealing with uh, the new reality in a world in which it's not just about the anxiety of getting things done and and uh, pushing and fighting and working hard. It's about uh, finding the right things to do. It's about knowing when to say no. It's about feeling comfortable existing and living in a space and making work that you really want to do and you enjoy. He actually says it best on the show where he's like, all I want to do is have the ability to wake up every day and do exactly whatever it is that I want to do at that moment. That's what I want to do creatively as an artist. Um, so this is a great episode. I think you guys are going to really dig this one. We get in, we get real nerdy about directing. We get real nerdy about animation. We get real nerdy about editing. We talk about art. We talk about artificial intelligence art. We talk about NFTs towards the end of the episode. It's all here. It's a good one. Um, so strap yourselves in. You know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones, have them cranked up to 11. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Will, thanks for being here, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm pumped good. that you came to the spot today. Yeah, it was a nice little uh, ride over here. You're about maybe 15, 20 minutes from me. Yeah, yeah. I'm over in Burbank. Yeah, yeah. What you rode the bike in, huh? Yeah. How long have you had a bike? Uh, since 2015. It's like a fucking death wish out here, isn't it, though? Yeah, well, you know, <clears throat> I try not to ride on highways, even though I did to get yeah. over here on time. <laughs> well, kind of on time. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't that late. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like, <clears throat> I took a... Uh, cross-country motorcycle trip in 2016 really like six months after i got my first bike holy shit and uh i took all old highways tried to avoid the big know, ones the yeah. big ones because it's just not it's fun and yes it happens to also be more dangerous but i yeah. like to kind of take my time and yeah. cruise around get lost in my thoughts so that's kind of the purpose of getting a bike right is it just supposed to be chilling and like one with the road and that whole thing very much so, at least for me. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. meditative. Um, but yeah, I usually take the side roads. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the... When I was a kid, I was a car mechanic, and I did all that stuff for a long time. And I like the idea of a bike. I like the idea of being connected to it. But I know how many times, like, especially living here in Glendale, I know how many times I, I almost get fucking murdered in my car. <laughs> <laughs> like, See, that's why I don't have a car. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy out here. It's like Mad Max shit. When, I, when we drove cross country, because we did the whole drive when we moved from the East Coast to here, and as soon as we crossed that California border, it was like vehicles screaming past you on the right-hand side. It takes a while to get used to. I did yeah. that drive, too, like 15 years ago, <laughs> moving out here. Yeah. And, um yeah, a, a lot of things out here take a while to get used to. Yeah, yeah, it does. Sure. It does, especially coming from the East Coast, where everything's sort of like, I always say this on the show, back at home I'd get 35 things done in a day, and I come here and it's like, oh, we accomplished four things today. That's great. <laughs> it's a good day. Let's go outside and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> You've been out here two years, right? Three now? Three. Yeah, okay. it's been a while. It's been a while. It's nice. It's nice. We really like it. Like the once you sort of get acclimated to it. I was always worried that being an East Coaster, I'd always heard that like Californians are assholes and they're like uh, fake and false. And uh, it's not really the case. There's a lot of really. I'm sure there are false industry shit that we deal with out here, where it's like someone's talking to you, but they're looking at the door the whole fucking time, and you're like, okay, got it. But majority of people that I meet are really cool. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, there's definitely some of that here, but. Um, <clears throat> I found, you know, that like L.A. in general, you kind of have to find your uh, the place you vibe with. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of hidden gems here. Yes. You know? Yes. So, you know, it has a little bit of everything, which is great. Fucking so. awesome. Yeah. The mix of everything. And it, whether you're talking arts or you're talking food, talking people. Mm -hmm. Ah, food out here is the reason to come yeah. out here. Yeah. You know? I agree. Last night I stood in like a thirty-person line in front of Target, like over in Eagle Rock, <laughs> to get fucking tacos, and they were just so goddamn good. It was like eight p.m. Oh, I thought the tacos were in Target. For a <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you this: that Target parking lot was full, not because of Target. It was full because of people on some folding tables out in front of it. It was so good, man. Fucking ah, oh, pastor, and ah, oh, the tacos out here are just worth the adventure. That's why you moved out here, right? For the tacos. Yeah, initially. I was like, Gina, we're leaving. Go for tacos. Let's pack up our whole fucking life. <laughs> um, 
<clears throat> so let's talk a bit about you, man. Like, I, I love your work. I've Thanks. loved the animated series that you've done. Um, I love your style and your vibe. Um, I It didn't occur to me that you had done the Liquid Death stuff, but then it made sense. I was like, oh, fuck, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course, man. Um, so how did it... Were you that dude in high school that was, uh, you know, drawing skulls and boobies on the back of your fucking science book? Is that where this shit started? Uh, you know, I was more into, as far as drawing goes, um, drawing my teachers to look funny, <laughs> to get a laugh from my friends. Ah. Um, and I think that, you know, that was just me, like, bored while the teacher's talking and just kind of getting lost in my own inner mm-hmm. world, which I guess kind of sums me up a lot of, a lot of the time. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's where my, my uh, that style, like the Mr. Pickles character style character, you know, comes from, which mm-hmm. is just kind of like drawing my teachers to look ugly. And <laughs> I think it started in middle school, maybe earlier. But and then I would go through periods where I, I didn't really draw at all. Like most of high school, I actually didn't really. I'd gotten bored with drawing. Mm. Like I was super into drawing in middle school. And then, but I was just drawing like, you know, yeah, I was drawing some faces and stuff, but I would put more time into kind of trying to draw something realistically, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and that got boring to me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe towards the end of high school, actually it was more like after high school, I was, I was like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I can draw. Then I kind of like, it got back into to drawing and painting and realized, oh, I can kind of. I can create these things that are in my head and put them on paper or on a canvas, and that opened up a whole new, I guess, area for me. Yeah, yeah. You and I are very similar, because when I, when I started, I thought I was going to be a comic book artist. I wanted to be. I was obsessed with comic books, and, and I spent a lot of my youth just sort of recreating the frames and the work of like Jim Lee or Eric Larson or all these guys that did really great stuff back then. And then... Um, I ended up going and taking like classical painting uh, courses and learning all that stuff. But my grades sucked. I was a terrible student. So I applied for art school and I didn't get in. And I was like, fuck it. And I was just so pissed off. Um, and then ended up going into falling in love with music because I worked at a music store for mm. years. And then through that, I was like, ah, man, I love introducing people to new music. Maybe I'll uh, be a radio DJ. And so I went to school for that. Wow. And uh, I learned quickly that that job sucked. <laughs> like, really quick. Uh, and then the story is that I had uh, to f- I had a co- class I was taking. I was going to a community college. I had a class uh, just for credits, and I took a film course. And uh, sat in a room, and we watched Blade Runner and all that shit. And uh, the teacher was like, what do you think of the outfits and the wardrobe and the people that do this? And this was prior to, like... Everybody on YouTube teaching you how to fucking do everything. Right. So you never really thought about it. And I had a moment where I went, oh, fuck, this is everything that I love. Like, all of this is everything that I love. And that's when I became obsessed and ruined my life. (laughs) 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 You know? know? Yeah, I mean, music is uh, very correlated to, you know editing or storytelling whether it's live action or animation um music was the first thing that ever made me want to edit something it was kind of like you know like hearing uh 
whatever, some random song and seeing a visual in my head for what that could be. Yes. That kind of, I think I kind of started getting interested in that around like 20 or so. Mm-hmm. But it was music that it, and music um, <clears throat> is still just as important to me. Like, you know, like something. Sometimes, like say on my show, Mister Pickles, something in the script wouldn't uh, wouldn't wind up working as great as we thought it would in the writers' room, and it would take music finding the right track mm-hmm. to really bring it to life. To either like make the direction in the script work, mm-hmm. or go a different direction. Sometimes mm-hmm. music would kind of. So yeah. Um, I, I think that um, I'm kind of similar. You know, I, I'm interested in, in music too, but not as good at music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, it sort of hits this period of time where I, I had an electric guitar and I was sort of sitting there and I'm like trying to learn how to play it. And I just went, Ugh. I've only got a certain amount of time in the day. I'm either going to figure this out with a camera or I'm going to figure this out with an electric guitar. And mm-hmm. I'm going to walk away from the guitar. So, <laughs> But yeah, for me, it's the same deal. Like whenever I'm cutting anything i'm always starting with the sound i'm always starting with me too music. it's so fucking because then i have to feel it i have to feel yes. it as an artist and then i go okay let me paint all this bullshit that i wrote down on a page let <laughs> me put that in this environment that i really See, like most people aren't like that that i talk to and really? I'm, I'm like that um i like the it depends on the music mm-hmm. um like you know <laughs> I don't know if I could make a film with no music, no. you know? Like, yeah. uh, and I, I was talking to a friend of mine who um, composes music for films, and uh, he was saying how hard it is, you know, when, when a director or writer gets married to temp music. I fucking hate that, yes. But um, I have to have something, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't just hand it over blind. Of course, of course. I mean, for me, the the perfect world would be if I can convince the money people to allow the composer to come in before we start shooting and just go, here's this fucking script, noodle and doodle and do shit, and hand me stuff that I find inspiring that I can also then use when I'm on set with the actors or I could use in, in the edit room as temp. I'd rather temp your shit than temp like... You know, a track that I'm gonna show up to you going. Can you make it kind of sound like this and just change the notes enough so that legally we can, yeah, make it sound like fucking Mad Max Fury Road? You know, that's kind of what we did with Dead Till Death, the the Liquid Death film that I made with David Crudo. Yes, um, Ryan McTeer, who composed it while we were were filming it, because we had to kind of turn that that thing around fast. Yeah, it was we had to get it edited, <laughs> and to shoot it kind of fast, edit it. Uh, makes the sound all pretty fast. And so to help with that, Ryan was composing while we were sh- shooting. That's cool. And he probably did maybe at least half of the composing uh, before we had finished the edit. And so <clears throat> when I got into the edit, that saved me <laughs> yeah. in some ways because yeah. you know I was able to, like you were saying, like find a track that felt right to me and then build the visuals on top of that mm-hmm. and then you know um reuse some things that'll be redone later by him but he's redoing his own music which yeah. i think was yeah uh, probably easier than you know <laughs> right it would be like if someone showed up to you and said like here's this sketch by this artist you know can you just change it slightly so that i can put this on a t-shirt and sell it you know what i mean yeah yeah that'd you be know? a pain 
Yeah. <laughs> it's it, but then there's there's also this di- dilemma because I've had a bunch of composers on the show. We talk about this and, and the composers that I work with. I know a bit about music, but I only know about music structure because of cutting music, and I know about the emotion that music conveys and how to do that. But in the beginning, I had a lot of trouble sort of communicating with a musician because I was concerned with like uh, I don't know what a fucking I don't know what chords mean. I don't know what like I don't know that you're technical terms. So how do I describe yeah. this to you? Um, and the composers that I really connect with, and the musicians that I connect with, are the ones where I could just sort of walk in a space and go. Here's how I want the audience to feel right here. And this is the emotion that I want to have happen here. And we can either be on the nose with this, or what if we contradict that emotion? And then what does that feel like? And then mm-hmm. there's. So whenever I'm finding music, that's. And I'll put in temp tracks too. Whenever I find stuff, that's what I'm looking for is something that stirs an emotion within me. And then I decide whether or not that's the right emotion for this. And oftentimes I'm surprised where I'm like, setting out to go okay so this is like a happy scene and i'm gonna do some happy shit in the sequence uh but i find the this really creepy track and the creepiness and the contradiction of the happiness makes it into something new and interesting and then later on people go wow so amazing you wrote this thing that was so crazy you go, no no i just fucking put the wrong song in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah gotta roll with mistakes right yeah yeah um yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about that the other day when it comes to art, just like drawing or painting that like whenever there's a mistake, I try to roll with it and let it take me somewhere I wasn't expecting. And that usually makes art better for Mm -hmm, me. mm -hmm. But editing is the same thing. Like editing makes, well, you know, when I say editing, that kind of includes the music. But like um, just so many of like the best moments on Mr. Pickles come from mistakes, you know, (laughs) like putting in some, some music track just as a joke to make some of the people I'm making the show with laugh, but I'm not really serious, but wait, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I like the way we all laughed at that. Yeah. 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 But that makes it fun, right? Because otherwise, you know, you're, you're coming up and conceiving something initially and then, uh, if you're sticking too true to it, then your process is just like going and getting the elements and just sticking them in that fucking place. It's boring. After right. A while, you yeah. Know? You, you have to be able to explore. And part of that is making mistakes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. How'd you get into filmmaking? So, so you started drawing and sketching first. How did you transition into the filmmaking stuff? So, yeah. I mean, my original focus was art. And then... Um, <clears throat> kind of started playing around with you know editing video like mm-hmm. you know like hi8 cameras mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, my friend Dave and I who uh, we both uh, made mr. Pickles together we started making all kinds of uh, videos uh, music videos mm-hmm. um, skateboarding videos graffiti videos sketch comedy stuff so we did that for a long time and along the way that i i would always be working on art too mm-hmm. painting paintings mostly and then a little bit of animation here and there and then um when we moved out here i guess that was around 2007 or so i started getting putting a little more time into animation um you know mostly just for fun was it because it was the most fun thing that you were doing at that time you know i'm not like this so much anymore but i've been 
a, a crazy workaholic for a lot of years. Yes. I'm kind of starting to slow down those last couple of years. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but I was just kind of like uh, just a, a maniac in, in, in the sense that I always had to be making something. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I burned out on painting, then I would do something that involved editing, you mm-hmm. know, make a video. And then when I burn out on that or both, then I would play around with animation. I just kind of, or it would be writing or be something like, I just, like to me, um, it was all about just, just making things all the time. My perspective has kind of changed since then. Dude, I just had the same conversation with another, uh, a fellow artist, a buddy of mine who's a musician and all day yesterday, it's like, this is fascinating. It's almost like AA for dudes, mm-hmm. especially our age, because we're close in age, right? I'm 44. Right 43, now. yeah. Yeah, yeah. My buddy's 44 at the same time, and uh, his notion is that we grew up with what he calls 90s brain, hmm. which when we were growing up, it was always like David Fincher. We'd, we'd see all these stories, and we'd read all these false fucking stories about how these guys got massive, even because he's in a band, so like... Even with all these bands, like if I do this shit the right way, I follow these rules the right way, I can have a fucking career. If I decide to be a music video director, which I tried for years, if I do it right and make the connections, I'll make ass loads of fucking money. I did and, some of that too. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so, so for us, it seems like we were just trained. My mantra was always like, all right, I'm not going to be a fucking car mechanic anymore. I'm not going to paint houses anymore. So every day that I'm in this fucking racket that we're doing right now... I have to earn this. I have to earn every fucking moment. And I had that anxiety consistently driving me. And I made a lot of good stuff because of it. But I would say the weight of like good stuff as opposed to like just constant beating my myself up and losing perspective and not exactly seeing what's going on around me for, for it, it outweighed the good shit that I was doing. Sounds like you're describing me. Yeah, welcome to the welcome to the fucking to the support group <laughs> and, and yeah i mean yeah it's it's been a it's hard for me to explain it all in a handful of words but yeah i um i went to school for painting and yeah. then i realized i'm not learning anything having a teacher teach me how to paint i'm spending right. more time at my house just painting and bringing stuff in for a grade mm-hmm. so i dropped out mm-hmm. my senior year and started getting more into video and then that led to animation and then once i got to um when we pitched at adult swim we pitched them a live action idea and an animated idea they picked the animated idea and then it was you know nine ten years of just animation it's crazy but i feel like you know, I've had had a little break this last year from animation, kind of been focusing on art, and I've realized, just to kind of circle back to what you were just saying, is that you can get lost in like, okay, this one creative thing is who I am, and this is what I'm supposed to do, and yes. I'm trying to like break that, you know? Yes. Um, because, it, and I've also been a crazy workaholic. I had my first kid, like right at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> um, you know, everything started changing mm-hmm. with the pandemic. I just kind of... Uh, I don't know. My my brain started thinking a little differently, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and um, it just kind of started slowing down. Now I try to um, not do most of the ideas that I have. Oh, interesting! It's kind of like an art to that of saying no yeah. and realizing that. 
I don't have to do every idea I have because that was, I had a lot of anxiety because of that. It's like, oh, I have this idea. That could be funny. That could be a funny video or this. This could be a funny, that's a whole other show idea. That that could be an animated. Yeah. That could, here's a movie idea. There's, here's a song I want to make. It's like, ugh. Yeah. Yes. And, and most of the stuff that I did in the past, except, you know, you know, like long ago, I don't like anymore. Mm-hmm. And I had that same mindset then. So now I'm like, all right, what am I doing now that I won't like? Mm-hmm. Five years from now, ten years from now. Mm-hmm. Now it's like there's more of an art to not making art. That's fa- yes, it's fascinating the way when you when you say it that way because I feel that anxiety consistently as well. And then I think especially out here when you are in this game of like pitching and pushing and and when you have I have ideas that are large. You've seen my movies. I have ideas that feel big and I mm-hmm. like to play in that big playground. And uh, the fucking dredge that is pitching and like hate it, hate, fucking suck. And it, it pulls the wind out of your sails. That as a creative that goes into pitching and someone that's like, oh, do you, do, you, do we need to make documents about this shit? Fuck yeah! And I go through the process of like creating all these beautiful documents. The amount of work that I've done in the past four years that no one will ever fucking see, and the only presentation that i have is some asshole sitting across the table barely looking up from his phone going flipping through it and just being like that's it that's the fucking that's what i did like three weeks worth of fucking pitch work man i feel the same and there's so many things that i i should be pitching right now that i just i don't feel like pitching i hate pitching yeah it uh yeah and (laughs) before mr pickles we pitched to a lot of networks and i would go about it all the ways that i was told to go about it Mm -hmm. And um, finally, I realized, ah, I have to do it my own way. Well, okay, so this is interesting. So what were the ways that you were told? Can you give me a couple of examples? Yeah, it was like, you know, show a picture of this actor who would represent this character and uh, memorize the whole 20-minute pitch verbatim, which I would do, and it would always... Even if it was only 10 minutes, it would always feel like I'm giving a speech. Yep. And it would feel stiff and it wouldn't feel real. And so what I did, um, you know, with Adult Swim, with an idea that wasn't initially Mr. Pickles, but that's what led to Mr. Pickles, was I just, I, I had the pitch memorized and then I threw it away. Mm-hmm. And I, I made myself, you know... 100% confident in that I knew what the show was, I knew what the story was, what the turns were, what was funny about it, why I wanted to do it. And then I threw it all away and just went in and had a conversation like I was talking to you now. Yes. Yep. And that's what made it work. Yep. So, I mean, dude, and I've said it on the show multiple times, that's when I got my movies picked up. Like, 12 Cam got picked up by Ridley Scott's dudes. When I went in there, we didn't talk about the fucking movie. I went in there and talked about my head injury. We talked about everything else, and they were just like, that's it. And it's it's fascinating because I think you're getting – if you're not going in for a general, like if they're calling you in because they like an idea, they yeah. already kind of like your fucking idea. They're just vetting you. Yeah. And they're vetting you to see if you're a person that they want to work with, you're a person that can handle stress, how you handle stress. And so, like, if you're if you're going to bring stories to the table, if you're going to talk to these folks, it's almost more powerful to be like – 
this is something I was doing the other day, and this is how I fucking handled it. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. And I, I find more success with that than if I go in as a movie nerd going like, have you seen the fucking thing? And then, then, then this, and this. <laughs> and they just sort of roll their eyes because they get all these like socially awkward fucking movie nerds that come in and out of the office every fucking day. Um, but, but that all being said, it's like I feel like I've cracked the code on how to talk to these people that really aren't artists, but they're in between us and the cash, right? But who gives a fuck? Because I still haven't made the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just like, fuck. Like, why am I so obsessed with figuring that fucking egg out? It's like, why do I do that? Why do I want to do that? You know? I'm uh, better at, at making things than pitching things. And I, I always feel like I'm just kind of bad in general at, like, selling myself or selling my art mm-hmm. or, or selling an idea, mm-hmm. you know? Um I'm better at just, you know, locking myself into an office room <laughs> and making it, mm-hmm. even if it's just a taste of it, you know, mm-hmm. to get the idea across. And then you feel like you're accomplishing something. True. Yeah. You know, and then you're, and then there's that exploration that happens, especially if you're doing like a pitch film, and that like the exploration and the 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 events that I, that unfold become like really fucking life altering events, and you're like. This is interesting. You know what it is? It's the inclusion of other fucking people for me. It isn't just me sort of sitting down with a pad and a piece of paper going like... That goes such a long way. I mean, just working with other people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember just uh, with the writer's room and Mr. Pickles, I would bring in an idea and I would... Yeah, I'd been working on it all night. Couldn't sleep, you know. (laughs) Like, oh, here's this story that I think is going to get us what we need and I don't think it's good to go. And then the room will kind of tear it apart. Yeah. And then we all build it up. Yeah. And it becomes something way better. And then I'm like, oh, my original idea was terrible. <laughs> but we all together like found a direction and we all made it, you know. The first time that happened, did that suck? Like when you came in with all your hard work and then the room pulls it apart? I can't remember it happened so often. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's funny too. Like I would... You know, whether it was like an outline or, or a script or just a story idea we're trying to break to even pitch yep. um, before we can start the outline. Um, yeah, I mean, I would just, you know, be writing my dreams. It was a lot of anxiety. It's like I'd wake up and be like, ah, oh, I cracked the... I, I was yes. writing in, 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 in my dreams and I figured out... And then I'm like, wait... <laughs> That's not what the story was. Like, that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I was r- trying to, cr- like, fix a problem in a story that we're not writing. Yeah. Um, and anyway, and then I would, I just wouldn't sleep, and I would, I couldn't come up with the idea. Like, I'm just, I'm coming into the room with nothing. I said I was going to fix this, this story. And then the moment I gave up, or, like, just took a shower right before I'm going into work or something, that's when the idea would come to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I stop trying yeah. to fix the story problem, yeah, is when it would just like boom, here it is. It's so <laughs> fucked up too that that's how the system needs to work, because I'm very functional like you are, where it's like there's an issue, there's a problem, let me fucking figure it out, and I may have some systems that I I do. I have systems that are in place that are problem solving systems where I'm like, all right, let me process. Bup, 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 bup. Mm-hmm. And I you, like I've got a fucking Fitbit that I wear, and I'll wake up. A night that I've been thinking about something, it's like you slept three hours, and I'm like, 
really? I was in bed for fucking eight. You know, <laughs> it's like the whole process of your brain just... And then you start running in those fucking circles of death, you know what I mean? With an idea where you're, you're like, I keep coming back to this thing. Does this mean that this is right? It's like, no, no, no. You're just stuck in this fucking loop of shit. And, and then literally you walk away, you go make a sandwich, and then the process of making that sandwich, your brain releases... And then you bite into that sandwich and go, ah, oh, there it is. Yeah, I mean, it's so much of, you know, it, the mind is the enemy Yeah, a, a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, tapping into something in your subconscious yeah. <laughs> isn't so easy, but when you can do it, and I'm not sure if that's exactly what's happening, but I do know that, like, whenever I'm, you know, stuck on a creative... Um, problem if I just go take a shower that the idea usually comes to me do you do like uh, meditation or any of that kind of stuff I do yeah um, I got into meditation um, like 2014 or so but then I, I I had some pretty weird experiences with it um, every once in a while and then what, is, and, whoa, whoa, what does that mean all kinds of just I had like weird visions of things and um, like energies like going up my spine and stuff when I would meditate. Weird. Um, and then that all kind of like started happening a lot more in 2020. So um, now I'm a lot more into meditation. Mm. Um, I do it regularly now. But back then I was just kind of every once in a while I would do it here and there. And in retrospect, I think a lot of the... Um, I don't even know if I've ever told anybody this, but a lot of the weird, dark stuff down in Mr. Pickle's lair, you know, those, like, <laughs> caves under the the doghouse, mm-hmm. come from, I think, from uh, some of the weird meditation experiences that I was having when I first, you know, was experimenting with it. Um, I, I think that's kind of a, a subconscious thing. Well, dude, it makes sense. I mean, uh, you look at uh, uh, David Lynch and his meditation tactics and stuff, and then his ability to to really come out of left field with a lot of the techniques of filmmaking that people look at. And if you're an analytical person, which I tend to be a lot of, it's Mm -hmm. like, there's no fucking way I can come up with that stuff without releasing all of the the barriers that traditionally my 90s brain had been putting in place, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean... I would also, I mean, David Lynch is one of my favorites, and um, yeah, my favorite film of all time is The Shining, and that, yeah, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's about meditation, but it's tapping into that same kind of psychic, mystic, unknown world, which is kind of really, I guess, what my biggest interest in meditation has become. Yes, it, um, I've had bad anxiety, mm-hmm. and that's helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can help with creativity, but I'm, I've always been kind of just interested in like, I don't know, other realities beyond our, our own and never quite, you know, accepted like mm-hmm. what, you know, people or religion say our reality is growing up. Um, and I just always felt like there's something more, something beyond that we're not um, aware of mm-hmm. or that maybe we're able to tap into. And so I guess it kind of, I don't know. That's the kind of, uh, I guess my interest in meditation is having little kind of doses of it 
yeah, yeah. Um, here and there, almost like a mushroom trip or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've meditated a few times, and I've I feel like I've a few times I've actually got into that place, but it's it's been very difficult for me to like get into a spot when I can meditate because of how loud everything is, and how loud the brain is, and the stresses oh, yeah. of the brain. And so, like, some oftentimes I'll just sit there, and, you know, you know the fucking thing where it's like I want to meditate. It's like, all right, how come I'm not meditating? Now you're fucking talking in your head about why meditation's not fucking working. And yeah, and like, why you should just get up and go do something. It happens to me all the time. Yeah. And I'll give up sometimes, too. Yeah, yeah. It drives me nuts. <laughs> the thing that, one of the things that helped me uh, with that was kind of like when the thoughts come in, um, like labeling them, like as either like past or future. It was like, Oh, here's this thing I, I want to do because I should do. Like, uh, I should not be sitting here. I should go. I got to do this or do that. And I would go, that's just the future. I'm thinking about the future and that's anxiety. Oh, interesting. And then, like, this other thing will pop up. Like, why did you do this thing? Or why did you say that thing once? Or and I'm like, that's the past and that's regret. It's like my mind doesn't want me or my ego doesn't want me to be in the present. And then ah. th- as long if I do that for like 20 minutes... Um, they're like these bubbles of thoughts that are coming at you, right? It just, they slow down and then eventually they just go away and pop up here and there. But it's taken me usually like 20 minutes to get into a place where it's like, ah, oh fuck dude. I gotta try that. man. (laughs) It sounds as refreshing as a cold glass of water to me. (laughs) It really does, man. I gotta try that. Fuck. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't always work, but, but you know. at least I've never heard that put it that way. And I think that you saying that makes it uh, seem like something that I could realistically do, which is nice. I've just experimented with with a lot of things that you know I've, I've read or, or heard from other people that meditate, and that was one that I read somewhere and tried it, and it it, it helped. Nice. So. And then after you do like a good meditation, is it just peaceful for you? Usually, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, sometimes, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've had some like crazy, like dream-like visions meditating. I don't know what they are. If you're like, if it's just like your imagination, like what I would think that dreams are, or if you're, if it's actually tapping into like a glimpse of another dimension or something. But some of them have been so intense that I, I would come I would come back to here and I would open up my eyes and that would feel like I was in a dream. Wild. It would feel like I was in some place that was more real than where I'm waking up to in LA. Wild. And that would last like, you know, five seconds. But yeah, yeah. I'd be like, oh, this is weird. I'm in a, this dream. Oh, wait, no, this is... Oh, yeah. I'm in LA. I got bills to pay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here comes all that shit. <laughs> but, yeah, who knows what that is. Yeah, but, man. Um, That's cool. That's cool. I mean, I, I think the closest that I find to uh, meditation for me is if I'm, doing a ta- if I'm doing a task that I enjoy and I just get into the zone of that task. And then it's just like, it, for me... A lot of lately, it's been a lot of cooking and food because it's. Uh, I don't need to go pitch a fucking meal. Yeah. I can actually make a fucking meal. <laughs> so like the, that is the, the process and the routine and the prep of that. I find myself sort of in this meditative state that is peaceful, and uh, I think that's kind of where I've been finding my peace lately. Is like 
just these not film things that I do that uh, are safe and they're my things and I don't have to do them for I don't have to make money back on them I don't have any of that other bullshit yeah. that comes with it my thing lately like that is um, uh, using a leaf blower <laughs> I get that dude I totally get that and I've been joking with some of my friends about how lame that is that I look forward to using a leaf blower but it's true it's like I, I, don't know, I guess I'm just getting older, or I mean, so, yeah, like the grandpa <laughs> on, the, yeah. on the porch watching fucking squirrels in the trees all day. Yeah, but it's like, I mean, I, it's an excuse. Oh, there's some leaves on the ground. Uh, I yes. can take a break from whatever it is I'm doing uh, and just go turn on this loud thing and blow some leaves around, and nobody can talk to me because yeah. it's too loud <laughs> <laughs> for 15 minutes. Yeah, I get it, though. I get it. <laughs> Because it's the same, it's the, it's like this sort of like routine that you can fall into. And, and if you do it enough, muscle memory starts to kick in. So you're not over-processing how you're doing shit. And he, there's a peacefulness about it. Yeah. It really is. Totally. I, get I haven't really gotten into cooking much, um, but maybe I need to. I, I mean, I'm sure the listeners are rolling their eyes as I say this all the time, but I love it because for me, every meal I make can be a mini movie. It's all the mm. same shit. It's like um, telling a story with your senses, except I have a few more. I have taste. I have smell instead of mm. just like what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Um, and then uh, it's fun. It's it, like the the process of doing that is a lot of fun and and then getting the feedback and then getting sort of the dopamine rush from the smile or the eyes that widen, you know. I think the reason I never got into cooking is because I'm just, in general, I'm impatient. Oh. I'm like, uh, oh, I'm hungry. Let's go make something as fast as possible. Well, that goes back to that anxiety-driven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm good at making sandwiches and cereal. That's about it. Well, dude, you start getting into smoking and barbecuing. You're talking fucking, you know, like eight hours, seven hours. And then you're, you know, you're monitoring fire and flame and heat. And and then you're like seasoning meats and like like braising meats. And then when you're going through the process of just monitoring the fire, you're hanging out with with a buddy and you're drinking beers and you're reflecting on fucking life and the smell of the smoke and... All that stuff becomes meditative, and and <laughs> this is weird thing with guys, right? Because mm-hmm. we're the way that we were brought up. You're not allowed to be emotional. You're not allowed to have emotional sharing. And I noticed this when I went home. I went home to the East Coast for three weeks for vacation, right before we're recording this. And my brother is uh, a firefighter, hmm. and so. Uh, he is very blue collar, builds houses, and is a firefighter, and all his buddies are. And I love that world. I've come from that world. And I love all those dudes, but it was fascinating going back and talking with those guys and hearing what used to be the way I did things, which is I don't want to talk about my problems. I don't want to talk about my shit. I don't want to admit that I have problems. I don't want to admit that I'm feeling anxiety. I don't want to admit any of that stuff. So if I see you and you show up, I'm like, what's going on, Will? And you're just like, oh, good. You know, life's all right. Life's great. And, and then you talk for you know another 10 minutes and you're like, 
what else is going on? And he's like, well, you know, I had this day and I went and I did this thing. And then it starts to break down where he's like, and then, you know what? That was really shitty. And that felt fucking shitty. And he starts talking about it. And he's like, but I'm good. You know, I'm all right. And, I'm all right. <laughs> and it comes back and you just hear these guys desperately hungry for emotional therapy from mm-hmm. each other. Um, and breaking out of that mold is so fucking hard because you don't, I'm not a fucking pussy. You know what I mean? You don't want to end up in that in that mindset. Um, and it's weird now that we've sort of crossed into this post-pandemic territory where everybody did nothing for, <laughs> what, like a fucking year at least? And they were like, shit. They started to work on their own emotional stuff. And now in the back end of it, you're just asking a lot of questions and going like, why the fuck was I doing that all the time? And why was that so important to me? And why, you know, like I was a piece of shit with all my anxiety and it just would bleed out of me and into the other people that were around me. And I don't want to fucking do that anymore. I want to sit around and barbecue. I want to sit around and, and uh, you know, do this, hang out and talk with people. I mean, the podcast became a big, big side effect of that. And um, and then I was, I was talking to Gina this morning, my girlfriend Gina this morning about it. I'm like... I don't know. Am I a podcaster first before I'm a director now? Like weird. <laughs> and and the old me would be like, no, fuck no. And I'd get upset about that and be like, no, 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 I need to strive. But it's like, I get a lot of fucking happiness out of this too. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like there's all these things I should be doing right now. Why am I not doing them? Yes. And I guess relating to this to what, what you just said, you know, do what makes you happy and don't feel like you have to do something just because you can or because that's what you set out to do mm-hmm. or because that's what people expect you to do. Like when I kind of realized that fairly recently, um, a, a lot of the anxiety about all the <laughs> things that I want to do, but don't really want to do went away. Uh, I'm okay. Just, just being, you know, that's the trick here and there. That's the fucking trick. And then I feel like I'm getting tastes of that now. And once I started to get tastes of that, I went, I'm going to shoot this thing. Now I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to shoot this thing. Cause I don't give a fuck about all that other shit that was driving my reasoning mm-hmm. for, for picking an idea and doing something. I'm like, no, I got this really cool idea. I'm going to do this really short little piece with an actor and a friend of mine. And we'll just fucking do it. Who gives a fuck? And I'm the guy that's going to fuck. Who gives a fuck? I'm financing it. No one gives a shit. Yeah, let's do it. And I, like that to me is so much more comforting, and then I start to fall back in love with lenses and light yeah. and all that stuff again. And it isn't about like, well, let me make the proper fucking decision on what it is that I'm going to do, so my agents and my management are happy with what it is that I'm deciding to fucking. It's like I hate that shit. Yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah, I mean, I'm at kind of a, a crossroads in that regard. That you know, I'm always going to be somebody who wants to make things mm-hmm. it's in my nature and i've been focusing mostly on art for about a year and i'm just like what do i want to do yeah. I, I have this movie idea i want to make i like making cartoons i feel like i was good at making cartoons both those things can be equally stressful as they are rewarding yeah art is cool to make I can, it, it's a it's a fast and sometimes more effective way to express myself yep um but yeah i mean i don't know i'm just kind of at this weird crossroads from like what do i want to do it really 
I guess when I really think about it long enough, what I come down to is I want to have creative freedom. Yeah. I don't want to have to, um, I, I like being able to wake up in the morning and, uh, go, this is what I'm inspired to make today. And yeah. then go make that. Yeah. That's like the ideal, yeah. uh, day for me. It's like a lot of time with my son, my family being in nature, but like having a, the first part of the day or a good part of the day just to do whatever it is that oh, I feel like doing. A hundred percent. Now yeah. like I'm gonna make a cartoon this day and every day or, you know, I'm gonna write and that's all I do. I just wanna do what I feel like doing whenever I feel like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you start to, at least I'm starting to become allergic to the anxiety that's driving a lot of this stuff. And I think that anxiety is obviously driven by the commerce behind the art. Because now you and I are coming at that from that mentality. Like, I've got this idea. It's really great. And this is what I want to do. And then the fucking, you know, uh, the money people come in and they go, well, we've got a bunch of fucking people that we're trying to keep interested on our streaming service so bang it out man and like make sure you're doing the shit now you're running on you know production level and production line level and it's that's like it kills it a lot of the time for me yeah it's it's tough yeah schedules and all that i mean a lot of times though that thing can uh you know that pressure can help Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's even necessary (laughs) to get an idea like over the finish line to get it yeah i mean like yeah exactly to get it over the finish line i i kind of think like my creative process in general in anything is usually a series of mental tricks to trick my mind into thinking that there's no pressure and i'm doing this just for fun but also that pressure is often necessary like so i think that there's a weird line in there and finding that line Mm -hmm. um you know there's an art to that too i get that yeah i get that because i feel like if i'm too mellow then i'm not getting anything fucking done right if i'm too mellow then i'll have you know i'll just get tired of this good idea i have and just move on to the next thing yeah but you know if i have a schedule and (laughs) you know uh there's a budget or a line producer or whatever then i'm kind of forced to suck it up and finish it and usually that'll surprise me and make it better than what I, the original idea was. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's like pressure's more necessary in the like second stage of making something. But not in the you're not <laughs> yeah. in the conceptual yeah. stage. Yeah. I get that. I get that. And there's, you know, one thing that I've been talking to my therapist about now that I cuz when I moved out here I got a therapist specifically to deal with the business. Interesting. It, yeah, I just fucking couldn't take it anymore. And so like <laughs> um one thing that uh, we talked about was that she said, did you ever realize that uh, most of your creativity is usually surrounded by either anxiety or anger? Hmm. And I was like, no. And then I thought about it. I went, well, yeah. A lot of it when I was younger would be like, that fucker said I can't do this, so fuck him. I'll fucking do this. And that was like a driving force for a lot of it. Or it was like... um, they say that I have these constrictions and I'm not going to be able to make this look like it's bigger. I'll fucking make it look bigger than it actually does. And proving yourself. That I've was gone a, through that too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I guess there's, you know, there's good things in that too. Right. Because I wouldn't have made you, the things you did those things. But, um, after a while that can kind of become toxic yes. and I've gone through that as well. 
Um, now I'm trying to kind of just throw away most of the ideas. And if one sticks long enough, then maybe that tells me that's one to to do. You know, and is like, what is that idea? Is that like getting across what I really deep down inside want to be doing? Those are kind of the questions I'm asking myself lately. Smart dude. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> things you're 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 uh, you're saying, or you know, the things that I'm thinking as well. It's funny, man. We're very similar with this shit. It's nuts, man. It's really nuts, and I think a lot of it has to do with how we were just how we came up, what we saw, what we watched, and then how people told us how that shit was done. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know. You know, coming out of the fucking Reagan era and all that bullshit. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, man, it's weird, man. It's wild. And I'm trying to get to where you seem to be getting to, which is like just being chill and just, this is a cool thing. Let's go make this fucking cool thing. And and uh, if we continue to make cool things, then someone's going to come find you. If you continue to uh, vibrate in your own space. Yeah. And uh, people will like what it is that you do. Then, at some point, you'll have to deal with that, you know, moral decision as a corporation approaches you and says, "Hey, we want to buy that fucking thing from you." And you're like, "Sure, do I want to sell it? You know, do I not want to sell it?" Yeah, you know, that's where I'd like to be is in that boat where it's like, I don't give a fuck if you buy it or not. It's not going to change my life, you know. That let's do it or let's not do it. Being able to say no to people is really nice. Yeah, I was. I, I'm def. I've definitely been a uh, people pleaser, mm-hmm. um, and I'm better at getting better at like saying no and setting up boundaries and saying I'm too busy. I can't add on this other thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I think uh, a lot of things have helped me kind of get to a better place with that. But one of them was definitely um, having my a kid, my son Apollo, because it's like. Well, now I'm like, okay, six six o'clock comes, like a regular end time for her work day. I'm hanging out with him. Yeah. I'm not working. Yeah. Um, for the most part. But like when I was making Mr. Pickles, I would basically live at the studio. Of course. Because, you know, we got um, a short amount of time to make everything. Um, it's all on my shoulders. And I don't have enough time to do what I need to do to get it to the place where I want it to be. So I'm just going to stay there all all night. Right, right. You know, sleep a couple hours and I I do that way too often. And that caused a lot of anxiety. And now I'm like, I'm easier to say no to myself. (laughs) That's the big um, one, to yourself more than anything else, being okay with it. Because I got to spend time with my my son and that uh, is more enjoyable than anything i found yeah um so he's helped a lot um but yeah i've definitely been uh, a yes man (laughs) too much (laughs) and now i'm becoming a maybe mostly no guy
right, it is time to take a break and uh, talk a little bit about the sponsors on the show, the men and women that make it possible. And um, before I do, I just want to say uh, I appreciate everybody that uh, writes to our sponsors. I actually leave notes on their Instagram pages um, that stuff like that if you leave notes on our, our sponsors pages say hey i appreciate uh, the fact that you help make uh, in love with the process possible or if you're writing reviews for the podcast on apple podcast uh, those are traits of a super fan and i'll tell you this right now i just heard from crunchy fingers that all of his pins for the show are gone they've all sold out so the only way you can get a pin for the show is if you're a guest on my show or if you're a super fan. And uh, we try to make this stuff work. I've got a few super fans that have pins coming. One in particular, yes, I can send internationally. We'll try to make that happen. Um, so please uh, reach out and uh, become a super fan. Um, but before I get into these ad reads, I talk about this uh, lately. I've been talking about this on the show. These aren't just ad reads. We'll get into some nerdy shit. Um, so uh, stick around and check them out. So first up, um, I don't know if it's happened yet in the edit because I haven't cut the show yet. But uh, uh, Will and I talk a lot about editing. and We talk about uh, what kind of edit systems we use. And you guys heard me give a quick plug to Puget Systems. I love Puget Systems. The guys over there, they're my drinking buddies. Uh, they have supported my art, supported the show for years, years. Uh, without Puget Systems, you guys wouldn't have this podcast. Let's just be real. Um, but I have been cutting all my stuff on PCs. And uh, the good news is, is I'm talking to the guys from Puget right now, and they're in the process of building me a brand new PC. I'm, I'm getting a new one, a new beefier one, something that's bigger and more intense. I'm excited. I always get pumped about that. Uh, because I've got a lot of editing coming up and I want to have a system that can use a lot of these new codecs. I want a system that is going to work perfectly with uh, future software updates. Um, and so these guys are going to put it together for me. But if you're a filmmaker, if you're an editor, if you're an artist and uh, your old machine is giving you the pinwheel of death, uh, it's time to buy a computer. I highly suggest you look into PCs because... If you're using Adobe, you can use it on either system. And with a PC, you could save money or take that money that it costs just for the unboxing experience and dump that into hardware that's specific to your needs, dump that into accessories that are specific to your needs, and it's a box that can be upgraded. How cool is that? Head on over to PugetSystems.com. You can pick out a system based upon the software you use. Um, and then just check out their resources page. These guys are benchmark testing and, and trying out all new stuff. And they're working with really cool artists. They love teaming up with artists. They love teaming up with filmmakers. I know that uh, when I last time they were in in, um, in Los Angeles, I went out drinking with them in the corridor, guys. I know that they work with the corridor dudes. I know that they're working with a lot of um, unreal um, you know, three virtual background stuff. Their machines are running that. Uh, they're really sort of cracking into our industry in a pretty solid way. And it's it's great because they're just a family-run company. I'm telling you. PugetSystems.com. Check it out. You're going to love it. Uh, we also talk a lot about editing on today's show. And we talk a lot about the power of music. 
when you're cutting on today's show. And uh, Will and I started to talk about whether or not you use temp tracks uh, to cut your stuff. Uh, if you can't convince uh, your producers to get your uh, composer on early on in the game, you're going to have to use temp tracks. You're going to have to use, sometimes you can't even afford a composer and you got to buy uh, licensed music. And we all know what a fucking nightmare that is. Nothing worse than dredging through a stock website and it's just all B-side, D-side uh, crap music. It's like the musician was doing all the good stuff for his catalog and he's like, ah, these are tracks that really didn't go anywhere. Can I sell these off here? I always hate that as a fucking editor when there isn't enough money for music and you've spent all this time shooting gorgeous images and then you drop some dog shit track under it. It just ruins everything. Uh, I was pumped to find Jambox, jambox.io. They run this website like a record label. They find really great artists that they pay the artists to come in and write EPs and singles specific to different genres. How cool is that? So you're getting solid music from artists that are being paid to come in to create that music. Um, go to jambox.io right now. Check out their catalog. Even if you're not going to sign up, just go listen to the music there. Have it influence and inspire you. Um, and then look at their package plans. Great deals on their subscription plans. They have a subscription plan for just content creators, people that are doing podcasts, YouTube channels, people that are essentially not doing commercials. Really great rates for that. I, I have the commercial plan. I think it's like $19.99 a month, um, which is a little bit more expensive, but it gives me access to their stems, to the stems for all their songs, their sound effects, and I can use that music in all my corporate stuff. And they also have a student package that gives you access to all that as long as you're creating content just for your student films and shit. It's like $6.99 a month. It's a fucking amazing, dude. I'm telling you, when I signed up for Jambox and I started to use this music, so any of the edit pieces that you've seen me post online recently, whether it was the stuff I did for Bose and House of Dragon, or if it was the stuff I was doing with Gina, with uh, Robert Pattinson, or the guys from The Boys for EW, all that music in the background was from Jambox. So really cool shit and i'll use jambox songs in this show and you won't even know the difference right head on over to jambox.io right now and what they have going on there is a fall special between the dates of september 15th and october 15th where because you're a listener of the show don't you feel special you hear this in another podcast the truth is they're giving 20 percent off for their subscription plans for anybody that listens to the show. If you use the promo code ILWP20, you'll get 20% off their subscription plans at jambox.io. So now's the time to get it. Now's the time to subscribe. You got a client that needs music licensing? Maybe they have it in the budget. They have a couple hundred bucks in their budget. Use that money to get an entire year subscription using our promo code. You know what I mean? Um, one of the big parts of our job is pitching. We talk about pitching on this show, right? We talk about how much pitching is a pain in the ass, how much it sucks. You go into a room and people judge you instantly. They judge you on your appearance, on the way you look, right? We're storytellers. We craft how characters look on screen to get an emotional reaction. The first time they walk on screen, what are they wearing? What's their hair look like? What's their body posture look like? People do that with us when we go to pitch. We go in these rooms. If you've got an idea and you're trying to get money, 
If you're trying to convince an actor to do something with you, if you're trying to convince crew, your, your physical appearance means a lot. It says a lot. What kind of shoes are you wearing? I'm a big fan of boots. I've always liked boots. It's probably my blue collar heritage. But I always like the way they look. I like the way they look with jeans. I like the way boots feel. And uh, I'm very happy to have a uh, fast sponsorship, like a very small sponsorship with the dudes and the people from Portland Leather Goods and Patina Footwear. If you go to patina.com or go to at Patina Footwear on Instagram, you can check out the boots. And I'll be posting more images of my boots. I have to break them in. I'm excited to break them in. They're leather, high quality leather stuff. Um, what do they have written here? This is their official read. Uh, our boots are hand-built from the best materials and the best price anywhere. Easiest buying decision you'll ever make this year. Our leather is made from the highest quality full-grain leather, tanned to perfection, and handcrafted into boots that you can wear with honest confidence. Simple. Buy with confidence. Uh, check out at Patina, uh, at Patina Footwear on Instagram, or you can go to portlandleathergoods.com and right now i think it's still up there they have 25 percent off uh, for the summer with the code summer 25 i think that's still going on go check it out um you know what i like about leather boots is that the more you wear them in the more character they have the more worn out they look i'm the opposite of gina she buys like a leather bag and she doesn't want to touch it take it outside i feel like every scratch every dent Every little thing has a story, right? Gina doesn't feel that way. It's because Gina's lame. I just got a dirty look. <laughs> there it is. That was the reaction I was looking for. Uh, also sponsoring the show, um, a big sponsor of the show, Fujifilm. Fujifilm, both Gina and I are sponsored by Fujifilm. We're using Fujifilm cameras right now which I love. I've been shooting with the X-H2S camera. Now, I just had someone call me out on Instagram, right? And they said, I thought you had Black Magic as a sponsor of the show. I do have Black Magic. Right now, we're on hiatus as far as sponsorships concerned. They're going to come back hard in January. I use the Black Magic rig, my 6K Pro camera, for a lot of my video projects. The issue that I have with the Black Magic, and the only issue that I have is that it's a, the crop sensor issue. So like when I'm putting wide angle lenses on it, they're like a 28, it's like a 50, right? That becomes an issue for me. So other than that, I love the raw technology. I love all that stuff. With Fuji, with this um, X-H2S, it doesn't have to be that way you can actually get an, a banging PL mount adapter from the from the people over at Wooden Camera for this. And I can put like anamorphics. I can put really sexy glass on the front of this Fuji rig. And what I like about the Fuji is its internal LUTs are its film looks. They have spent a painstaking amount of time to create uh, digitally what the look of their film stocks are, what the look of other film stocks are. Their black and white LUTs are the best. The best. And I know a lot of you are like, well, Mike, I shoot everything raw and I do color correction in post. Yeah, you could do that. But there's something nice about shooting and adjusting your frame and living within the constrictions of a LUT, of a look, of a lens, creating artistically in that world, letting that inspire you. 
And sometimes shooting raw and flat is just fucking boring and uninspiring to me. I need to have a camera that is causing me to shoot, enabling me to open up my creative pathways. So one of the big reasons why I don't do like big shoots with my iPhone. I did a commercial with it. I don't want to use a device that I get texts on. I don't want to use a, a device that gives me anxiety based upon whether or not I got an email from the landlord or if I'm going to get a phone call from my mother at the same time that I'm trying to frame up a shot. That device is an anxiety-ridden tool, an iPhone. If I'm going to shoot photos, I want a specific tool that when I open up the case and I take it out, I breathe a sigh of relief. It's time to shoot photographs. Check out Fujifilm. Check out their cameras. Like I said, I've been using the X-H2S, and Gina is using the GFX100S, which is their medium format camera, and the images that she's been getting off of that are absolutely gorgeous. She's about to start a new project, and she's going to be doing a bunch of stuff with that. And uh, because of my connections at Fujifilm, more specifically, Michael, that works over at Fujifilm's, he introduced me to uh, David, the photographer that I had on the show, David James. So without that introduction, you guys wouldn't have had some of the best episodes that this podcast has ever produced. So big shout out. Head on over to the link in the description. Check out Fujifilm on Instagram and just say, hey, thank you for making it possible to have that amazing series with David James. And I've been getting notes from you guys on Instagram that you love it. So uh, it's not just me behind it. It's also Fujifilm. Last but not least, finally, our beer sponsor. It's so cool to have a beer sponsoring the show. I'm actually staring at a, a glass that they sent me from Bear Republic. Uh, do you guys know Bear Republic beer? Now, first off, this ad read is for people of legal age. Right? If you're under 21 here in the US, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to wait a little while before you can have beer. Right? But it's okay. There's, it's nice to wait a little while. Spend some time. Develop your taste buds. Right? You're going to hit a point where you go, what am I? Am I an IPA drinker? Am I a pale ale drinker? Am I a guy that likes a Czech? Like, what kind of beer do I like? And the thing that's so cool to me about beers in this country right now is that there's over 9,000 craft breweries out there. 9,000 small businesses that are making and shaping hops into beer. Fucking cool is that, man. It's the coolest thing in the world. And uh, I, I consider beer drinking the same way I consider f like food for me. It's like pairing beer with food is like pairing, pairing wine with food. What do you want to drink? How does it taste when you eat that burger? Is this an IPA? Is this a New England style hazy IPA? Uh, go to Bear Republic and check out all of their small craft brews, all their small craft, small batch brews rather. Um, and uh, you can order them at Bear Republic's website. Can you believe that? If you're in the state of California, they'll ship it to you. There's a few other states and I, I should probably write down what other states they'll ship to but if they don't ship it if they can ship it to your state if there's some sort of legal reason that you're not allowed to ship alcohol there they will tell you on the website where you can get these small batch brews and they're really fucking cool stuff man 
um, go to bearrepublic.com and check them out. And I know a lot of you have uh, only know them for Racer 5, but their small batch stuff is so delicious. Um, I'm very, very excited about uh, getting more from these guys. Um, so I know it's the barbecue season. We're at the end of it. For those of you on the East Coast, it's going to start getting cool. But uh, if you're going to buy beer, buy Bear Republic. And if you head on over to their website and use the discount code PROCESS15, all listeners get 15% off their online store beer and merch. 15% off of beer. Okay? Uh, let's be real about it. Uh, so head on over to bearrepublic.com. Check it out. That's it. I think that's all of it. Um, before I go, just remember, all of our episodes are up on inlovewiththeprocess.com. I know we've got a bunch of episodes, well over 200 episodes at this point. And sometimes if, you, if you're just joining, I've had a lot of people jump on after the David James stuff. And you're like, fuck, where do I go? Do I go all the way back to number one? Well, if you just want it curated for you, you can go there and I've curated all the episodes based upon subject material. So if you just want to listen to directors, they're all there. If you want to listen to photographers, it's all there. And I put up web pages per for each episode that have all sorts of other supplemental material, trailers, images, pictures. And I ask my guests to send me stuff that they don't send anywhere else. So oftentimes you'll find photos from their phones, from on set, from other places. It's all at lovewiththeprocess.com. So go and check it out. That's it. I'm going to get back to the show because uh, I know my dad's listening and he's like, Mike, enough of the ad reads. Let's get into it. So let's go back to it with Will. did music videos because you're that business is dying if not dead and so you were just scrambling like a bunch of fucking rats in a sinking ship like that's coming in yeah you have the stupid idea yeah i'll do this fucking thing you don't have enough money yeah i'll do it yeah and then you just find yourself there was a period of time where you were i was like loaded with five or six fucking shitty projects that didn't have enough cash didn't have enough stuff to do what it is that i wanted to do yeah and uh, you were just like crunching this crap out, and I'm just like, "What the fuck am I doing this? Like, why am I doing this shit?" Uh, just so exhausted by the whole thing, and I just hit a point where I go, "The only people I do music videos or anything for are people that I want to hang out with." Yeah, that's it. That's the rule. 
So like if you approach me to do a music video and you've got some bullshit, dumb fucking idea that I don't like, or you're a piece of shit, you start talking to me and I'm like, this guy's <laughs> so fucking out there. It's like, no, I'm not going to do it. But if you're cool and it's like, I, I, I want to have barbecue and beers with you, <laughs> then it's like, yeah, all right, I'll bend over backwards for you. We'll do something. You don't have enough money here, but we'll make it happen. I'll do that. I don't really make music, but now I want to make some music so I can ask you if you'll make a music video. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was, I'm like, I'm after I got back from my uh, vacation, which was also really nice because we hadn't really, I hadn't got out of here since prior to the pandemic. So it was nice to just sort of go. And I came back and now I'm talking to like three different musicians that I fucking love. And the music video world's changing so much now where it isn't, no one gives a fuck about a full length music video. Like really? no one does. Who, who? Unless you're someone that's conceptual and you're doing something that's a conceptual thing. But if you're a musician that sings or plays or performs, people looking at it on fucking TikTok. Like no one gives a shit. Yeah, that's got to change things. I mean, is there? Are there still like music videos on MTV? No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> what about MTV Two or Three? Maybe, or I don't, I don't even don't know. know if MTV Two or Three are still a fucking thing. <laughs> I don't know either. I feel like MTV Two or Three became like here are the reruns of fucking Road Rules or whatever the fuck they were doing. And I feel like just saying that dates me probably 15 years <laughs> at this point. Uh, no, dude. There, I mean, the internet and, and YouTube is where most music videos go. And then when you start working for... Here's what's fascinating. is You start working for these labels, and these labels come out and they go, hey, we want to do a music video. But uh, when MTV was dying, and that was like TRL and everything, mm -hmm. when it was shit in the bed the label guys would come to you and go, well, it's not for fucking MTV. So we're not going to give you the, the price of broadcast. We'll give you like a quarter of the price to do this shit. Meanwhile, it's direct marketing to their fucking fans. It's perfect for them. They can play anytime they want. They don't have to sit and wait for the rotation. Like, it's perfect. So that was the big con mm. that they did. And then they're just sort of hit a point now where a label will say, hey, we need to set the tone with a music video basically to sell tickets for the artist when they go on tour because that's where they make their money now um but then they'll also do like a bullshit lyric video that costs them nothing right i've seen some of those and that has like almost as many hits if not more hits and they're making all that youtube cash on on a fucking uh a thousand dollar investment two thousand dollar investment and so the labels don't give a fuck those it's budgets a, must be getting real small then, huh? They, I mean, Gina does more than I do now because she's been uh, a photographer for years and now she transitioned into being a music video director. Um, and I've been sort of the quiet man behind the scenes helping her do shit. But um, some of the pop stars that know the power of visuals to sell tickets for tours will spend cash. Would you deal with a fucking label? Yeah. The label's just like... You know, here's fucking 10 grand. Here's five grand. Or they'll hit you up and they'll go, here's, here's a deal. Here's fucking $50,000 and you could do three music videos. And you're like, what do you, I, what do you think? I don't know fucking math. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's such a good deal. You're guaranteed three music videos. And so the new thing now, which I'm really embracing is, why do a whole music video? And a lot of these music videos that you'll see, I'll watch a video with an artist that's performing, and I'll start to connect with them. 
right? There'll be some shot, there'll be some performance where you're seeing the soul of that fucking artist. And it's like Slash coming out of the water in the Estrange video. It's Slash kicking the church door open. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's what I remember. There's so much other shit that was painstaking to shoot. Cutaways, bullshit, that was like life-altering to shoot that I don't remember in those fucking videos. So why am I going to do that? Just get that one moment. Just get that fucking one moment. And if that one moment only lasts for 30 seconds, great. Fits right into TikTok. Fits right into a fucking Instagram story. Why am I breaking my ass with one-eighth of what it's supposed to cost to do a full day of coverage? What, are we making a fucking film? Or are we making a fucking music video? And what's it for? And with the attention spans now. That makes sense. Are people doing that? Or is that... We're doing that now. Cool. Yeah, we're doing that now. It's so much more fun because then you're just like, hey, I can actually craft this moment. Like, I can take all your resources and all your <laughs> shit and I can make this moment fucking rad. Instead of like taking all that and going, hey, let's hire a bunch of bullshit actors to like roller skate around and let me get coverage of the roller skates. You know, oh, that's going to take us like two hours because we got to get the fucking rig. And it's like, why am I doing it? No one cares about the roller skate cutaways. Like, go back to that one shot of the artist that everybody is going to obsess over. Right. That's where the new future, I think, of music videos is, 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 is that content. So these are like 30 seconds long, 15 seconds? No, it could be a full-length song. It's even better, right? Let's say you do like a full-length song. You want to drive people to your plays on Spotify because that's where they're making cash, right? Mm-hmm. So you do fucking uh, a couple of 15-second, 30-second Instagram clips. And then you just have the embedded link to the Spotify. And so maybe it's like that part of the song where he's, bah, 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 you know, and he's silhouetted and that's all you're shooting. And then people look at that and go, this song sounds fucking rad. Click. And then they go to the fucking place where they get the money. Rad. That's why, smart. Why do that? I mean, I like the art of the old music videos, but no one's watching them. Yeah. Yeah. Music videos. <laughs> so I, we had cable for one year when I was growing up mm-hmm. and so i only remember music videos from this one year <laughs> <laughs> when was, when was this? What it year? was like uh paula abdul opposites of trash yes. yeah. <laughs> uh november rain yep um and i remember my dad walked in the family room when aerosmith loving an elevator was playing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the like mannequins and bikinis came to life mr tyler going down <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and my dad was like nope that was it <laughs> yeah. that's what canceled cable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know i had to go to my friend's house to watch stuff like beavis and butthead or yeah, this and that yeah um, but yeah <laughs> i only remember music videos from that one year that's funny so that's funny dude music videos were such a big part i would watch them all the time and i hit a point when in my career, um, I started to do music videos for a lot of the artists that I fucking loved. I was hanging out with Ministry, and I was hanging out with fucking um, Meshuga and like all these like really great metal bands. And uh, it was j- it just started to get depressing because then the label would it's like money people the label would come in and just go like, "I know you want to do a video about the twelve levels of hell, but to, and I know we promised you fifty grand to do this, but here's twelve. And you're just like, I guess it's two levels of health. <laughs> okay, all right, you know. Yeah, I mean, money, money's the tough part about art. 
Yeah. Um, it really gets gets in the way. It really but does. At the same time, you you know, to make the big budget um, project, you have you have to have the funding for it. But um, yeah, it's tough. But even with films in general, to make a to make a film that's beyond you taking a camera and you running around and you having like a handful of your friends, I've made great things doing that. Yeah. But as soon as you're like, this shot needs to be a more refined perspective. I need a dolly move here, and I want to land on this face, and I'm and I'm going to start to tell a story with the visual language of cinema. As soon as you start getting into that game, you're like, all right, I need grips. I need right. the dude to, buy, to rent the truck to go pick this shit up and drop this fucking thing off, and then that's where the cash starts to come in, and you're just like, okay, all right, so I've, I can't do this. I have this daydream about winning the lottery and just taking my time making the film I want to make. You know? <laughs> uh, a film that exists in that daydream only, but um, <laughs> you know, and make it with your friends, and get the choice shots. Yeah, do it right, and don't rush through it. Oh, imagine just doing a day where you just do three shots in a day. Yeah, and you're at the monitor, and you're just like, you know, it'd be nice as if that light wrapped around their face just a little bit more. That'd be nice. Yeah, we'll come back tomorrow. It'll be better. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, do you hear what's going on with Coppola? Mm-mm. So he's making a, I think it's like a $100 million movie that he is self-financing. Wow. Because of the vineyards and everything, the years and years of him selling wine and shit. And he's finally like, fuck it. I'm doing it myself. $100 million. Self-financed. He's making a big movie. He's got big actors in it. He's done that before, right? He's done a lot of smaller versions of it. Wow. But he's got like some big idea. I don't know if it's like a period piece or something. He's got some big idea. And it's the type of movie, I think the, the log line is the type of movie that you could never go into a studio and go, I need $100 million for this. The studio's like, where are the underpants? Where's the superheroes? Where's the shit? And he's like, nope, fuck it. See, that's the way to do it, I think. You just need $100 million. <laughs> you just gotta have a vineyard, gotta have years of selling booze to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking rad, man. What's the movie about? I can't remember the specifics. I'll, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. Wow. I can find it online. I remember reading about his casting shows. I think Adam Driver's in. He's getting some some of the bigger actors today. Isn't that how Apocalypse Now was? Apocalypse Now, I think, was still financed by a studio. I oh, think it okay. was still financed. I don't know if it was Paramount that financed that or Fox, someone else. But it was a different time period where the artist kind of ran Hollywood for a yeah. little bit. That seems like a movie that can't be made now. Fuck like, no. That kind of movie. I just watched, because I was talking about it on the show, I just watched Hearts of Darkness, the doc on how to, have you seen that? Yeah. His fucking wife makes that doc. <laughs> it's so good. So stressful, but so inspiring. You just hear him going like, I am shit. I don't know what I'm fucking doing. I'm a piece of shit. You know, and he's desperately trying to write. I don't know what the fucking end of the movie is. You know, I've been at that that place and I think that there's something about that place where the magic can kind of happen yeah from that kind of stress level yeah when you're that uh, deep in the zone in the story in the world you know and when it's all your responsibility that 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 stress that it's the pressure that can actually lead you to the right idea yeah but it's also the enemy yeah I, I've definitely been there 
uh, not like hearts of darkness there, but um, <laughs> to the place where I'm like, this idea isn't working. I have to figure it out now. Yeah, I don't have the answer. I, you know, this isn't working out. Yeah, I'm failing at this. And then right at last minute, boom! There's that idea that makes it work and finds a way. It's interesting because I've been there too, man. And, and the initial response is like. You look at something and you have all these peers around you and you're like, I fucked that up. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then the initial response is like that sort of self-deprecating, like, I'm shit. I'm not good. I have the imposter syndrome at this point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I shouldn't be here. I don't deserve this. And what's fascinating about that stress that you're talking about is that oftentimes that it doesn't allow you to think that for more than a half a second mm-hmm. where you're just like, I can't fucking think about that right now. I'll go beat my ass up when I get home tonight. But right now... <laughs> Like, I need to figure this stuff out. Um, I've actually got an interesting story about that, where you saw 12KM, because mm-hmm. Kruda shot that. Yeah. I, the short story of it is, I, I used to shoot everything. So I used, was a cinematographer for a year, so I used to do all that. When I decided I was going to do 12KM, it was a movie that I was like, I'm going to do it in Russian. I don't speak Russian. I don't have any of that. So there hit this point where I go, I'm not going to have translation issues and try to direct this stuff and be the director of photography. I'm not going to fucking do it. And Kruda and I had been friends online for a little while, and so I brought him in and inducted him into my crazy fucking world, (laughs) right? And so he came in. This was in Boston, and we shot that movie in this small town outside of Boston. Uh, He was coming in from New York, and he was the big cinematographer, right? You know, I got a real cinematographer that's coming into town to do this. Little did I know that he's just crude up. But (laughs) so so he's coming in to do this bit, and it's day one, I think, of the shoot. And I've hired a whole production design team that is moonlighting because they're also working on a big movie during the day. So they would do all this really amazing production design, but they'd work 24 hours a day. These guys were really working hard. Um, and I had said to the produ- production designer, I said, there's a hole in the middle of the room. There needs to be a winch that lowers this cable down into this hole. He goes, I got it, I got it, I got it. So I show up to set a little bit late because I had to go do something. I come on set, my assistant director comes up to me. And he goes, have you seen the hole? And I go, no. And so then I continue <laughs> to walk. And then Kruda comes up, you know, and he's like drinking a coffee. and He's being all Dave, you know, and he's just like, hey, man, uh, have you seen uh, the whole? Have you seen this stuff? And I go, no, I haven't seen it. Now in my head, I go, what the fuck is going on, right? <laughs> and so I'm like walking towards it, and I go, eh, it'll be fine. Everything's gonna be great. And so walk towards like this beautifully built little hole in this space, and the the winch that's supposed to be sending down a cable is literally like a still camera tripod. It's like this tiny little fucking tripod. <laughs> and so and and. Kruder goes, I don't believe any of this stuff. And I go, I, I, I know, I know, I know. And I just like really sort of hang out with him. I go, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. So I walk away and I call up my production designer. And I go, dude, what's going on? And he goes, I'm sorry. And you never want to hear this. He goes, I'm sorry. We're just so tired. I couldn't do it. I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I just, I, I can't even stay awake right now. I'm falling asleep. And I go, and in my head, I go, fuck you. Like, I'm so upset, right? And I'm so mad because it's the simple thing. But I go, dude, it's fine. Go back to sleep. It's fine. Everything's great. Everything's good. So I hang up the phone. And uh, I look at this thing. And, it, and in my head, I go, this is my fault. This is all my fucking fault. I hired these guys. and They're doing the shit. And so I have my assistant with me. 
And I said to Kruda, my assistant director, I said, do me a favor, just go walk away and figure some stuff out. And I walked away with him and I walked outside and I was standing outside and I'm having that moment as a director where uh, I want to cry. Like, I want to fall apart. I want to throw chairs. I want to fucking do this. You know, you've been there. Mm -hmm. And so I said to my assistant, I go, I deserve to be able to do that. But let's pretend for a hot second that I don't do that. Let's just run through some ideas. Let's run through how we could fix this. And that 15 minutes, instead of flipping out and losing my shit and falling into that game, we solved the fucking problem. I was able to bring in an industrial thing. I had a guy on set that went and got it, fucking pull it all together. I had Cruda and them shooting stuff out of sequence in the meantime to keep me on schedule. Came back, turned it around, and there was that, that thing. And wow. having that moment, when I finished doing that, I went, this was the hardest day I've ever had on set. And I, I, I beat it. I fucking beat it. And so when I was in like Ridley Scott's offices and stuff, I was just like, oh, no, I fucking beat it. I could be here. I could do this shit. I fucking beat that day. It's wild, man. Like getting through that imposter syndrome and not letting it fucking kill you. Yeah, I still get the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Probably always will. I think so. I think we all will. Yeah. Right? Because we're, we're still chasing a dream with idols that were built in our own mind. And like the, we've built these fucking normal people that don't know what the fuck they're doing into Greek gods. And then we're just like, someday I'll be fucking Zeus or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I think it's the ego too, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. What's your wildest day on set? What was your most difficult day on shooting on something? Uh, there was a on Dead Till Death that I made with David Cruda. Yep. Which uh, was the liquid death. Yeah, short liquid film. death. Um and uh <laughs> we were shooting nights and it had been raining most days and nights and the story didn't really call for that <laughs> it was a nightmare so it was like i mean it started raining like <laughs> the first time like on the the day when we were shooting the like here's the sunny day scene uh -huh. it starts raining right but um so i think the the toughest night for me was this um this scene uh right around the the second turn in the story where um some of the basically the cans are trying to cans of water are trying to crawl into the the bodies of the the victims and possess them right <laughs> and this uh the rain was brutal this night so we we're running long and i feel like it was like three in the morning or something and we needed to wrap it up soon but we still had all of this story left in the script and i remember like <laughs> It was starting to like hit me like there's no we got all these different setups all, all, like pages of of a script to get through and we need to start wrapping up now and i was like i'm not going to be able to get this again oh no God. everything's pretty tight in the schedule i think we shot it all in six days and then did like some pickups for a seventh day yep and uh long story short um you know i one of the guys working on the film with us like kind of threw out a question mark because I, I basically what I did was I, I said, you know, I need one minute mm -hmm. and, um, I kind of took a deep breath and then somebody said something that kind of led me to an answer. And the answer was making a big cut and making a big cut in the story on the fly right then and there. 
saved it, saved that scene and enabled us to be, I think, feel like we were out of there in like 10 minutes. Wow. Wow. What I, th- I feel like we probably had a couple hours to go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that was a big relief. But then I, I had a hole in the next part of the story at which we were shooting the next day. And so right after we film, started filming or finished filming this, this night, I, you know, I didn't sleep much that night because I had to go like fix the next scene. Yeah. But that one little like tweak in the story kind of saved it. But that moment where I was like, oh my God, yeah. like how am I going to get through this? There's no hope in sight. Yeah. Is tough. Yes. But, you know, found, found a way. Yeah. It's wild too, man. That's what's so crazy about making movies is that, uh, and I didn't learn this until I started like really editing hard is that there's a hundred fucking different ways of doing it. And just because you have it written this way and just because this is what you planned, as long as you just have your head wrapped around thematically, what's supposed to happen and emotionally what's supposed to happen through these sequences, you can fucking change that shit. And if you're open to that, I think if you're in that space and you're just like, I know that the, we were going to cover this with like 12 shots, but what if we just put on a dolly and we do it with two, right? That'll save us like what, like four hours. Those moments of simplifying things yeah. are great. And that's all that was, you know? Um, and it was also another good example of, like, I didn't come up with the solution on my own. It took mm-hmm. somebody else saying, hey, what if we cut this? And then um, and then that, like, was a domino effect that led to, like, the right answer. And that would happen all the time in the writer's room on, like, Mr. Pickles or my other show, Mama and Amy Sheriff, is that it's just, man, it's such a team effort. you know Mm -hmm. so and then you're casting your team like every time you do a project you're just like that fucking dude knows how to Mm -hmm. fucking roll with his bunches and Mm -hmm. i need you on my team buddy yeah yeah but yeah that was a tough night (laughs) (laughs) i had anxiety just listening to it uh one of my favorite scenes too yeah Yeah. oh because yeah what now is it your favorite scene just because of the circumstances that created it no no i let that go that you know I, I don't let that weigh in, yeah, yeah. I guess, on the final thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, even just like simplifying, uh, I, I think I kind of have a tendency to overcomplicate things, which is uh, good and bad because I think in a script, um, yeah. overcomplicating it will give you like I'll always have to cut some stuff. Yeah, uh, once it comes time to uh, to make it. And maybe some of the things that were overcomplicating it are the things that remain, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, those would have been things that would have never been there in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's like our scripts on Mr. Pickles were very much always too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of the extra fat on there, you know, I would find a way to keep that, you mm-hmm. know? I think you have to kind of pad things sometimes, but then it can be real tricky to cut things because, you know, I'm kind of a stickler about story structure. So like, if like, I won't like, I can't cut something if it's one of, you know, it's an important turn or this and that, even within the, the scene itself, not the whole project. And it's like, as soon as that falls apart, then I don't know as the like writer or director what the scene is supposed to be anymore. So like I have to hold on to those things. I get it. Um, and so it can be tricky to, to get rid of the stuff you really like 
but you got to like hold on to what's important. Do you have? Do you only direct stuff that you've written? Have you ever directed something that you haven't written? I don't think I have. No, you yeah. should try it. It might be a little, uh, a little cathartic. I think because there's a sense of when you're so close to it, you're in that. I, I feel like the few times that I've come in and I've directed something that I really didn't write, or now when I'm working with a writer, I love my writer. And when I work with his stuff, he, he does all this stuff, and I'll read it, and I'll go, I love that you made this, and I love that it's in here, but I know I'm not going to do half yeah. of these fucking things. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's something relieving about not being in the trenches of actually writing something and then being able to look at it from an outside perspective and go, okay, here are the important elements of this. And this story, who gives a fuck about this story structure here? It's more about how the character responds to the audience and the... When you think about, I always tell myself this, when I look back on all my favorite movies, it's never about the story for me. It's always about character moments. It's like John Mm. McClane in the bathroom pulling glass out of his fucking foot. You know, it's like, you know, Arnold high-fiving what's-his-name and fucking, you know, Predator. It's like these character moments Mm. that seem to outlive what the overall story of a piece is. Um, And so... As a director, I'm I'm trying to keep that in mind. Where I'm like, look, it's important to have a cohesive smart. story. But That's smart, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that made me think of. Uh, I mean, what are the like some of the fam- favorite moments in my favorite film, The Shining? And the first one that pops in is just the opening scene, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the credits are rolling. Yeah, uh, just the vibe. Yeah, of that. Um, and then obviously the the scene at the bar. Yes. Um, that whole him walking in and then there's well i guess there's two great scenes in the bar like the first one he walks in and nobody's in there and then all of a sudden the bartender's there and mm-hmm. drinks the whiskey that's probably the best but then the the second one um you know there's all these people in the anyway you know um, well dude but like, going further down the road for me like there were moments like when uh uh what's her name shelly duvall in the kid go for a walk and they go into the maze and it's just like the low shot that he does the tracking mm-hmm. shot and she's holding his hand and his little feet like in the fucking rocks like the foreshadowing that that does for the movie is yeah. great but just that moment alone i'm just like i remember that moment yeah you know and it, the story's about the shining and how how uh stephen king hated that fucking version of it because he was like it didn't really follow my story it didn't really follow my stuff but I really appreciate that version of it because it's more Kubrick just going like, it's about these fucking people. It's about what we see them do on screen. It's about the emotion that we feel when they do this stuff. And what makes it scary is how they're doing these things. It's not the story. I still haven't seen Stephen King's. I've tried to watch it multiple no, times. I can never, I don't even know if I've actually turned it on at all. But it's like, uh, I have the book too by Stephen King and I've never read that. Yeah, I just, for some reason, it's like... I, I can't. I, I I didn't even watch the the Shining sequel or whatever you call it. The Doctor Sleep. One. Yeah, I so saw it. I, I saw it eventually, but I was not going to watch it because I was like, nothing can top the Shining. But I wound up liking that film. Yeah, that was good. Um, I thought it was good. But um, yeah, I haven't I haven't seen Stephen King's version of the film. Um, I don't care. Like it, it, for me, it was Kubrick. It was it was yeah. what he was doing. I mean, it's. The Shining to me isn't a Stephen King book. The Shining to me is like in the same universe as like Eyes Wide Shut, in the same universe as a 
like a full metal jacket. It's like the creepy sort of atmospheric fucking strange places that he goes with those actors. We went and stayed at the uh, the Stanley Hotel a few really? years ago. Really? Which is in Estes Park. I don't know if you know about it, but that's that's where Stephen King, I guess, stayed and had a ghost experience, I believe, or <laughs> was inspired to write The Shining. Um, and anyway, they were playing some of Stephen King's version of that, like in the lobby or something. Of but um, <laughs> so that's all I've seen. And I actually had a weird experience when we were there. We 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 got to this hotel, and then it was like maybe 15 minutes in. I was getting some coffee. There was like a little coffee shop down in the like lower level, and um, I feel something um, touch my leg, like the outside of my calf muscle. Okay, and um, I look over uh, to my lady Samantha, and I was like, "She's a few feet away from me." I was like, "Did you just touch my leg?" She was like, "No, there's nobody else around." I don't think anything of it. And then we do one of these ghost tours, uh-huh. and um, <laughs> which you know, I'm skeptical of ghosts, even though I've had what I think is a ghost experience when I was a kid. But I'm still skeptical anytime somebody else talks about ghosts. Sure, anyway, sure. he he uh, he was like, "Yeah," and there was a cat here. Um, you know, that's buried in a pet cemetery there, which I'm, you know, assuming maybe that's what uh, inspired pet cemetery. Pet cemetery. But um, he was like, yeah, his, the cat's name is Kumanchi, and uh, if you feel something brush up against your leg, that's if you're a cat person, which I am. Um, like all cats love me for some reason, then that's this ghost. <laughs> Okay. So I don't know. <laughs> There's the cynical part in my brain where it's like they've installed like little yeah, air compressors. That yeah, are, I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We looked into this guy. We know cats like him. Let's yeah, trick him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, because that's what we do as directors. Is the yeah, trick? Is yeah. we do the tricking? You know, it's fun shit, man. It's fun shit. <laughs> <laughs> who knows though who knows yeah, yeah but it was it was cool um how you doing on time you okay yeah i'm good um is this live no no can we take a bathroom break yeah let's do a bathroom okay. break
All right, we're back. Hey, something I was just thinking. Uh, I'm curious if David Crudo was like this on things you filmed with him. Or <laughs> I'm like, you know, a stress case inside. I don't know how much that shows usually, uh-huh. but like on the inside, I'm usually. Uh, well, I was <laughs> kind of stressed out on on uh, on filming that, and uh, he was just calm as could be. He's always a cucumber. He really is. He really is like. Um, I'm trying to think if I've ever if I've ever fucked with him because <laughs> we've done a lot of shit together. Um, no, he's hard to fuck with. That's what I, I mean, that's what makes him a good cinematographer. Yeah, is that he's very chill. He's very calm. I think I can get a little manic. You know, um, I can get very excited. I can get like very intense. Um, but he's always just like like he'll be hanging off the dolly going like. Hey man, and, or, I'll give him shit because he'll like uh, pull out his iPhone and him and like you know Greg Tango who's gaffing or something. They'll be looking at you know pictures on their phone. I'm like, no fucking phones. You know, <laughs> <just yell. laughs> but uh, yeah, no, he's 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 cool as a cucumber most of the time. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, couldn't have done it without him. That's for sure. Yeah, he knows his shit. He really does. And uh, not only is he a good dude, and uh, not only does he shoot like really beautiful pictures, but he when I was looking for cinematographers, this world ends up becoming very gear centric mm-hmm. and like real centric. So like, what am I shooting for my reel? Like, what are the shots? What is the beautiful thing that I'm going to make for this? Um, and uh, what you want, what I wanted from a cinematographer is a, a guy who uh, cares about the emotion, cares about, you know, what, you know, a few hundred years of language in cinema means. So, like, if you're going to put on a long lens, what does the audience perceive that as without even thinking about perceiving that? That language becomes our obsession. And, and as we work together, um, we I talk about this stuff all the time. I'm like, everything needs to mean something. So, let's, yeah. let's, let's choose what we're choosing here. You know, let's cure us out with this. Let's, let's, let's make this mean something, you know? Yeah, David's great. It's a good dude. He's what, right. what was the first thing you worked on with him? 12 Cam. Okay. Yeah, that was amazing. 12 Cam. We did that together. And then uh, did uh, a couple commercials together. Hired him for commercials. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then uh, um, what else did we do? We did, obviously, we did Who's There. We did a couple of other things, too. Knife. We did all, all these, like, knife commercials and all that kind of stuff, which was fun. Hmm. Yeah, he's a good dude. You still do a lot of commercials? Or? I do when I want to. Yeah. It's just, it's this game of fucking pitching for everything, even even in the ad world, where you're just pitching and you're running up against, uh, you know, whatever's trending right now. And, you know, people are like, uh, I know you're good at what you do, but why don't I get this person on fucking TikTok? You know, and you're like, okay. I hate pitching so much. Uh, this reminded me of a, an old show idea I had. Uh, that me and my friend Dave had. It was called Son of a Pitch. I think <laughs> terrible show idea, but I think they like it was like two guys trying to pitch shows, and their ideas are terrible, and they're you know it was kind of like a way to like show a bunch of bad ideas, which bad ideas are are kind of funny to me, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
son of a pitch. Uh, change it around and have it be that they have really great ideas, but all their notes are fucking dog shit. Yeah. And that'll be a drama at that point. It won't be a comedy anymore. <laughs> yeah, the two guys, they have really good ideas, but the networks just keep giving them terrible notes, yeah. terrible feedback. Yeah, that's you've, funny. You've gotten terrible notes, I'm sure. Yeah, but, you know, for like the last like almost 10 years working with Adult Swim, they've given great notes. Hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, some notes can be tough, right? Sure. But, um, Adult Swim always give gave great feedback, um, and they would uh, often make things better. And they didn't give a lot of notes, but when they gave notes, they were good notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like their kind of notes were good at um, pushing us to keep things unique or doing things that were <clears throat> different than things we'd already done. Yeah. And that, that helped a lot. So I learned a lot from just working with Adult Swim and getting their notes. But, yeah, notes from other networks and other just producers or whoever. Um, yeah. We go Terrible. through. Yeah, my writer and I go through this consistently. And I find that if I get a note that changes the story in a good way, I'm always like, fuck yeah. And it's always like, yeah, 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 that's interesting, and that's interesting, because I'll always take that kind of input. But sometimes you just want notes, the kind of notes I want from like a distributor or someone that's doing that. It's like, no, 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 I want you to take your years of like releasing things and how audiences reacting to things and ticket sales. Give me notes based upon that, because you know more about that than I do. Right. Don't tell me like what outfit the fucking girl should be wearing in this fucking scene. Yeah. You know, tell me that, you know, if she wears that outfit, we're going to lose a whole demographic of fucking people. I'd rather hear that from you. Because if that, if that's the study you're doing, then I, as the person that's doing it, I can go, okay, maybe we, we're going to do that and push that because that's the thing that I want to push. Or we're not. Okay, I'll take that into consideration. But it's the fucking dumbass notes that are just like, you know, what if it was, uh, you know, what if we swap genders or like some stupid shit? And it's like, okay, cool. You want to make this a different person? Then let's rewrite the whole character. No, no, no. Just change the name. Just change that one part. Yeah. That unravels everything. Everything right? else. <laughs> Most importantly, it unravels what's in our minds as far as believability. And we're sitting there going like, this is a, I don't believe in this. So everything else is fucking soiled. So I need to fix that fucking thing. Yeah, I mean, tough notes like that. Um, you know, me being such a stickler for story structure, for me, like I hinge everything on story structure or the way I see story structure. That like unraveling something to a certain point makes the whole thing fall apart. Yeah, to where it's like, all right, if this is the note I have to do, then I'm starting over. Yeah, <laughs> because you know i've spent a couple days trying to take this note and apply it and it doesn't work w- without unraveling this this and that you know my thing that i would always um <clears throat> do with adult swim in their notes is that i would never or at least most of the time but would never just do what their note was mm-hmm. i would take their note and i would try to figure out what why it is that they're giving that note Mm-hmm. what it is that they don't like and why they don't like it. And then I would use that as the inspiration for what would finally be a, a diff, totally different idea or similar idea, mm-hmm. uh, but it wouldn't be what they were asking for. And turn it in or pitch it to them or whatever, and they'd be like, great, 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's smart. I learned that in editing. Sometimes you'll get a note for an edit, and someone will go, I don't like this scene. I don't like this bit. Change it. And I, my response is like, why? Why do you not like this scene? Why do you not like this bit? And they go, well, because of this. And I go, actually, it's not this. It's two scenes prior to this. Mm. And I fucked that up. That's where the problem is. And so give me a second. Let me change that. And then I don't even change the scene that they think there was an issue with. And they go, oh, it's fine. Yeah. It's like, no, it wasn't this. It was that. And that's my job to know that. It's your job to tell me what you're feeling, because then I can decide whether or not that's what I was intending you to feel. Okay, so you feel weird here. I didn't mean for that to happen. So something, I fucked up something here. Sometimes, too, like notes will, I, I can have an immediate like, oh, no, this doesn't work, or I can't do that because of this and that. And it just takes me like, all right, you know, now I try to, like, <laughs> I've learned from this that I do. I'll kind of uh, react right away. But then if I kind of sit with it for about five, ten minutes or even a whole mm-hmm. day, I'm like, oh, I can kind of see that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to, like, sit with things now longer. Are, are you an Smart. editor? Do you edit yes. your? Yeah. yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. E- editing was kind of my first uh, love mm-hmm. uh, when, when it comes to like making, telling stories or production work. Um, a, a lot of times, I would only be shooting something because I wanted something to edit. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Same with animation. You know, it's yeah. like, and that all comes from originally just wanting to put uh, visuals to music. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the way back around again. Yeah. What do you edit with? These days, uh, everything's uh, Adobe these days. Yeah. So I'm all Premiere. like Premiere. Yeah. Um, uh, I am actually on PCs now. So like I do everything on PCs and do the Premiere game. Um, and then uh, Resolve, those guys were trying to get me to jump to Resolve. And I'm like... I don't even know what that is. Okay. So DaVinci. Okay. Uh, it's usually a color correction program. And now right, right. they... I know that will do edits and now mm. they're trying to get the edit market and I'm like why all my clients are expecting me to do it on, why am I going to jump I'm not like give me a break but stay in your fucking lane you know <laughs> it's like when Dunkin Donuts decide they want to make sandwiches it's like keep doing the fucking bagels and coffee thing <laughs> you know um, but you know it's fun I love it man I uh, finally uh, on Mr. Pickles had to switch over to Premiere and uh, I used that on Dead Till Death as well and I, I like Premiere now, uh, but I was a Final Cut guy, and it was hard for me to let go of using Final Cut. Mm-hmm. And I used that up until, I don't know, like season two of Mr. Pickles. But, uh, yeah, you know, Final, I don't know if you ever used Final Cut. But we used to. Yeah. It, back in the day. And I, I knew Final Cut, like the back of my hand. And I actually, I can't remember who it was, but there was... I've only met one other person who animated using Final Cut, but that's how I... I found out this weird way to animate using Final Cut. Mm. And part of the process was um, reconnecting files. Wow. Um, Whoa, I'm fascinated. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would draw everything in Photoshop, and they would not have layers. They were flattened, and I would bring them into Final Cut, and I would move them around or, you know, or it would just be like frame-by-frame animation. Um and you know, even sometimes I would use do an animatic version of that to get through and tell the story, and then I would go back in, you know, finish each drawing, and reconnect just it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it had all these like weird tricks with Final Cut. Uh, turns out that's not really a great way to animate. But <laughs> <laughs> so when uh, yeah. we had to uh, make Mr. Pickles, you know, uh, 
we did it with Flash, and I actually didn't ha- really have time anymore to animate, so I kind of just got out of the loop of animating. Yeah, it was more like story writing stuff. and directing, editing, drawing. But like, but yeah, back in the day, that's how I did it, and I didn't. <laughs> I drew it all with a mouse back in the day too. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, for me, it's it's Photoshop. Like Photoshop has been the most magical thing since I started, which was like version two or three or whatever. And Photoshop has always been that thing for me. And, and so Adobe was always familiar. Yeah. Um, and then as a photographer, I'm messing with photos in Photoshop and playing with things in Photoshop and then learning how to draw in Photoshop. And now I'll, I do all of my own storyboards, all of my drawings and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I use like a Wacom still and I'm, a, I'm doing all that in Photoshop and I really love that. Um, and so... When I first started cutting, way back in the day, I used Sony's Vegas, which mm. was a program. I've heard of that. And what I liked about Vegas, because at the time it was either Vegas or Media 100, I think was like the original Mac. But Vegas was the first one to actually do animated moves with stills, so you could actually mm. crop and make all that movements and stuff. And so like one of the first pieces that I made... My first short film that I was doing after film school, I wanted to raise some money, and so I had a dinner, and I made this little piece. I made this little piece that was images of Charlize Theron. So I downloaded a bunch of photographs of her, and I added, I cut this really great music track, and then I did all these like moves on this, and and I did that in Sunny Vegas. And it helped me raise money. Thanks, Charlize. Helped me raise money. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know. Yeah, I, I love editing. I think I actually learned on iMovie was the first. Yeah. And I didn't even have a computer. I think I was like 21 years old. And so my my roommate had a computer, so I could only edit when he wasn't at the house in yeah. his room. <laughs> and I was like, fuck this, I got to get my own computer. Um, and then got like a my first, first Mac I think uh, Final Cut 2 is what I yep. went to. Yep. Yeah. We did Final Cut back, my old business partner and I, when we had our own company and we were doing music videos. Uh, we did Final Cut for most of the stuff in the beginning days, but it was when Final Cut went to Final Cut X or whatever, and they had that day where they go, we're not going to support opening old projects. And we were like, fuck you. Like That was the day that we were just like, we're out of here. Same with us. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I still don't understand what happened there. but uh, They were trying to like... These companies, you find this brand loyalty with corporate companies, and you think that they 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 give a shit about you. They fucking don't, especially with Mac and Apple and shit. They don't give a fuck. But didn't they have like a a really good thing? Yeah, that they own they the just, market. It seemed like they just threw it away. I don't get it. Well, I think there was also this game, and they were trying to make it more uh, prosumer than pro. And you know, with all gear, all gear suddenly became very prosumer because they realized it was almost like disposable gear that they could make a lot more fucking money on. You know, if they're selling like the, look at camera products and lighting yeah. products and shit, they just they they simple it down, they dumb it down, and uh, they make more fucking Ferrari money. You know. But I mean, it didn't work out for them, right? Or did it? No. Are they still doing it? I mean, is it still? No, they tried to come back around again. Oh, See? they did. Okay. Oh, so I jumped ship. And I went, and I wrote a whole article on it, which got a lot of press. And I went, fuck you. Went to PCs, because Adobe came out and said, uh, hey, guess what? We'll let it, you can open the old Final Cut projects in our shit. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And so Adobe was like, no, no, no. We have a way that you can do it in our shit. 
which was the smartest move they ever did. Wow. So then we all jumped ship. And then as I jumped ship, I went, there was two things happened. Final Cut did its bullshit. And then um, Apple one day released a software update. And we were right in the middle of edits. Two edit bays full of shit. I literally couldn't use the same footage I used yesterday on that same machine. Like that software update rendered all my hardware useless. That one update. And I suddenly looked at it and I went, if I'm going to replace all of this, this is going to cost me like... 30 grand to replace everything that I'm working on that I literally was cutting yesterday and now it's going to cost me fucking 30 grand and so you know anger so there was a point where I was like fuck you I was so mad and I wrote this article and I uh, uh, Adobe stepped up and they said hey we will open projects and I said does Adobe work on fucking PCs and they went, yeah. And I go, fuck Mac. And it was like this one day where I just was like so pissed. And so then I, that's how I ended up with my longest sponsor, which is Puget Systems. These guys that sponsor plug that uh, make these great computers. Um, because as a kid, I used to build PCs for LAN parties. I used to do like video game parties and all that stuff. And it sort of goes back to working on cars where you can swap out hardware. There's all sorts of competitors. So the hardware is very like uh, affordable and price worthy. And so suddenly it was like, fuck, I can do everything I used to do for video games now for editing, and I can actually custom build. And that changed everything. And then, you know, Mac still kind of held on to shit. They're like, oh, the industry industry standards ProRes. We own ProRes, so we're not going to let, you know, Macs do ProRes. And then a bunch of nerds were like, fuck you. And they, like, hacked ProRes. And so I was delivering to clients ProRes that was hacked from nerds for quite some time. Really? I didn't know any of that. Oh, yeah. And eventually ProRes became public or Mac let it go. But they're still trying their games. They're still trying their shit. They want to get in there and... And get like Steven Sodenberg says that, and then like everybody races to buy these fucking laptops. I mean, I have a Mac laptop I've had since 2013, but that's it. Wow. And, and the stupid fucking phone. <laughs> and that's it. The rest of it, it's just like, no, no, no. And you know what it is? Is artists, I say this all the time, if I'm going to dig a hole, I go buy a fucking shovel. When I go buy a shovel, the shovel doesn't tell me how to dig a fucking hole. I'm buying that thing to specifically do whatever I want with it. And I feel like a lot of this uh, hardware shit, they're just like, no, you can only do it this way. And that's how you're supposed to do this thing. And everybody does it this way. And you're like, fuck off, man. I want I want to do, you work for me. I get a little frustrated with that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I'm, I'm more of a creative editor. Um, when it comes to like the technical side mm-hmm. of things, especially with Premiere, when I don't, you know, I knew Final Cut good on the technical side, but um, when it comes to the technical side of things, I just get like, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> especially if it pulls you out of your story mode. Yeah, I mean, I was I can be that way with cameras too. Sometimes I'm just like, um, I'm just better at the creative side, the technical, like you know, like trying to like. I remember there was this, uh, I forget what the program was called. I was trying to like make some music. It was like Logic, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, I, I want to get this so I can just make some music every once in a while. I'm not going to do anything with it. It's just for fun. I like Every once in a while, I like to play around on the guitar, right? Uh, and every time I would sit down <laughs> to play on this program, I didn't really know. I would, just, I would have to spend like two hours trying to remember how to do all this stuff. And it would just... I would just leave with like, okay, I, I didn't play anything, and I 
all I'm left with is remembering what I knew last time I tried this. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, that can kind of happen. That would happen sometimes uh, with me with editing too, like especially on say like Mr. Pickles where I have a short amount of time. I'm on a strict fast, you know, I don't have a lot of time to edit. I have a schedule uh, and I got to figure this out. Now I got to jump into that edit and I got to, boom, make it work. Yeah. Having to like figure out a lot of where's this file and um, this and that, uh, it it just kind of takes it out of me. I've become uh, somebody who my creativity flows better in the morning. It used to be at night (laughs) when I was in like my 20s Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. uh, and in my 30s and, you know, 40s. It's first thing in the morning, like first cup of coffee. That's where like the good stuff for me comes out. Whether yeah. it's writing or editing or whatever or drawing, and then after the second half of the day, I'm shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find there's like usually with me there's like four hours in the course of a day where it's like, yeah, okay, there was some good stuff, and then the rest of the time you're like, maybe I can still, and you're, you're making oh, a bunch of shit at the back. I end. always make the mistake of pushing it too. Like, yeah. no, I've still it's it's yeah, yeah. only one o'clock. I've got to like I've got all this time to do all this to be productive, and it's just like I should have just stopped and gone yeah. and yeah chilled somewhere (laughs) yeah especially with editing especially with editing dude the thing that i've been lucky with is that since gina's been doing so much like she is she's been she shot that uh robert pattinson gq thing that happened right before batman and she would just go they were the big trend right now is that people are shooting with the cameras that i threw out like fucking 15 years ago so like they're using oh yeah Mini DVs and all sorts of shit. I think I still have all of our old cameras, like even the old high eights. Uh, they love that shit right now. So this is everywhere. And so, really? Oh, yeah. And so she's been out shooting a bunch of that stuff, which means you have to put capture cards back in the computers. Uh, and now you're like, you know, we're capturing like slip frames, tracking, and all sorts of stuff to build shit, which is fun. And the thing that's been really uh, released. A releasing about it for me is that when you're shooting 4K, 8K, 6K, everybody's like, it needs to look great, it needs to look pristine. When you start fucking with this, no one gives a fuck. It's all yeah. like sloppy and shitty and yeah. and really fun and cool. And um, while she was doing these things, she would shoot this footage with what she calls dad cam. So all this dad <laughs> cam footage that she would shoot. And she brought it to me and she's like, I don't know what to just to cut this. And it was uh, Robert Pattinson stuff. And I had so much fun with it because uh, really I'm going through this footage, which really didn't mean anything. And I was kind of making fun of him because whenever I see him, I know he's a great actor, but whenever I see him, I think of her love of him with the fucking vampire movies, the whatever the fuck. Twilight. Twilight. Yeah. You know? And so I was just trying to piss her off. So I was doing this cut (laughs) where I'm like, putting animal noises underneath him and, and, and stuff that made me laugh. And, and she came in and she looked at it and she goes, this is perfect. <laughs> and I was See, like, that's what I'm talking about. Like yeah. earlier, like trying to make people laugh, you're taking the pressure off. You're, you're, you're just doing something for fun. And that winds up becoming the thing. Yeah. That would happen so many times yeah. to, to me on like, like on my, on my shows. Yeah. I love that shit, man. Because then it's cool. And then you do like this fast cut. I love fast cuts. We do something that's fast and emotional. You're like, what if I drag these in? What if I do some sound effects here? And you make it and you go, that's fucking rad. Done. Clients are showing up going, how about if we... You know? It's also too like my, my dad 
used to always tell me, usually your first idea is the right one. Yeah. And I found that, I mean, it's not always the case, but when it comes to a creative decision, um, you know, it's usually that first that first uh, decision, whether it's an edit or something you're writing. Like whenever like things are just flowing and you're doing it fast, um, for me, usually that that first idea is what works. When I'm like pounding it and trying to like <laughs> make it perfect, and here's all these other options for whatever the thing is, it's usually like oh that first initial like gut feeling. It, I don't know what the word is for it, but um, yeah, your intuition. It's like yeah. the 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 initial. Yeah, that's usually it. And you know, then you fine tune it a little bit. Sure. But it's usually that that first thing. So I just did a gig for um, for Bose in uh, HBO. Uh, it was a House of Dragon thing that I just cut, and it happened at uh, Comic Con. And you'll find this fascinating. There's new tech now where uh, it's Frame.io, which I don't know if you've ever used yeah, yeah. great mm-hmm. review. Well, their new tech now is that you can shoot and it will upload directly into your edit program while you hit stop on your camera. So like crazy. And there, a lot of it is like, um, uh, like, uh, fucking, uh, temp files or like low res pro res files. Um, so like if you're doing like 4k, 6k, of course, like the internet speeds are going to slow down the uploads on that. So it'll just send those temp files that you'll then replace later. But it's fucking rad, dude. Like, and as a director, it's fascinating because I was able, I had to, sh- I had to shoot this thing and then turn this thing around in 12 hours to, to go online. So it wow. was like super fast. And so I did the first day on set and, uh, I shot all the footage and then it was uploading immediately. So then I went back to the hotel, and I was sitting in the boardroom at the hotel at my computer, and I had Gina and the other folks that were out shooting on the phone, and I was just like, "We need an insert of the fucking dragon eggs. Go grab that." They go shoot it, and then it would end up in the edit, and I would just play it through, and I go, "Wouldn't it be great if you guys got this and this and that?" And they're like, "Yeah, uploads, put it in, good, good, crazy, to go. yeah, yeah." Frame I was great. Uh, we used it. So 2020, uh, we were just starting post on our uh, season two of Mama Name Me Sheriff, which is the Mr. Pickles spinoff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we were like a couple weeks into post production, like writing's all done. Now let's go, let's make this. Huh? And then COVID happens, and you know they're like, okay, everybody, we're just gonna take a week off. <laughs> <laughs> The longest week ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and then that turned into using Frame.io, and I by that time had had backed away uh, from directing or editing. Yeah. So I would have edits coming in from other editors and other directors coming in through Frame.io, and it was great because I could um, I could just leave notes right where the, mm-hmm. the edit was. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a bit of a game changer, and I, you know I don't know how we would have done it without it really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool, man. They're cool dudes. That, they're not a sponsor right now. They should be, but they're not a sponsor of the show. But uh, they do some rad shit. That that immediate upload stuff was like, because I was I brought that to the client. I got the gig. I was able to bring that to the client. It was that and the fact that I cut the music before I showed up on set. And I was like, here's the music, and here's how the cut of the music will be like we talked about. And, wow. And they were like, this is fucking rad. And I was like, yeah, you like the sound? This is the length that it's going to be. Here's the music. And now we'll just get the shots that we need and we'll plug them in. Right. Yeah. And they were like, you got the gig. And I was like, cool, let's do it. 
Let's do it. It was fun. That was a fun one of those client jobs where like we're drinking beers, we're hanging out, we're doing stuff. It was like very chill. And I'm like, all right, grab this shot. I know what we need. Boom, 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 boom. It's fun. That's what commercials should be. Not this fucking other bullshit. It reminds me of some good advice. My uh my good late friend Trevor Moore uh told me once. He said, Never work with somebody you couldn't get a beer with. Mm-hmm. And that's uh turned out to be good advice. Yeah, man. Because if I've ever had like, you know, not so good experience working with somebody, I'll go, Could I have gotten a beer with that person? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> 100 <laughs> percent. So I think he was right about that. <laughs> I believe it, man. We're 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 hitting the point where we should end this. You know what I want to talk to you before we left? Yeah. Um, NFT stuff. So you've been doing a bunch of NFTs, and I don't know how I feel about NFTs. It's like, and let me explain that statement. Yeah. My. I had a lot of people when NFTs were really hitting, right? They're like, fucking Beeble makes all this cash. And I'm like, because mm-hmm. he's fucking Beeble. He makes cash off everything anyways. How am I going to make cash as, a, as an artist for NFTs? And then um, it just seemed like you had to go down into this rabbit hole and suddenly like learn how all this works. And then you're in a cryptocurrency fucking rabbit hole and you go through this whole process. And then it just felt like there was a bunch of just tech bros like trying to figure out ways to fucking pyramid scheme their way into more cash. So that's my negative intro <laughs> to NFT I can questions. see. I think that some of that is true. I, I would uh, relate it to uh, what we were talking about, L.A., yeah. earlier, is that um, there's some of that there. Yeah. But there's a lot of good stuff there, too. you got to find, you know, your area. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, like, you know, I see potential in, in cryptocurrency and in NFTs in a lot of different ways. And I'm trying to, you know... Um, necessarily ignore the bad things but just try to make those things better if i have the capability to do that but i would say um from my perspective yeah i mean i always uh liked to draw things digitally um over the years i've kind of i mean i went to school for painting Mm -hmm. but i think i've gotten better at making art digitally but I would just do it just for fun, you know, aside from like making shows and stuff because it looks cool and the colors are crisp, but I never thought that I could sell it, right? Then, you know, NFTs start coming around. Okay, cool. There's a way to sell this. Um, and then then there's, you know, PFP projects. Um, like I'm doing one called Murderhead Death Club with Liquid Death. Yep. And PF projects like that, what's cool about that is they offer utility, you know? Uh, and they're all different. And um, I'm not the best spokesman for explaining how all of it works. But um, I, I do think it's cool that, you know, there's kind of like two different kind of, at least in my head, sides of it. One is, you know, PFP projects. You own this art. And you don't just own the art. You can get perks from owning that art. You yeah. can... Um, um, and the other thing is just owning the digital version of the art, like one of ones. And, um, you know, when an artist is, is, a fellow artist is talking to me about NFTs and they don't quite um, get it yet, something that I'll say that usually kind of makes them go, oh, is I'll say, um, from an artist's point of view, you know, uh, this is the first time where artists get royalties. Yes. 
And, you know, it's like, okay, so you're a filmmaker and your film's doing well. You're going to get royalties. If you're an actor, you're going to get some sort of royalty, right? Mm -hmm. But artists haven't had that. And that, I think, that is important to support artists. But to me, it's not just about that. You know, I think it's about, um, you know... It's about a lot of things, but uh, <laughs> I, IP I think is important. I think yeah. that there's going to be a new like um, era of artists and creatives, um, you know, being able to control their IP more. You mm -hmm. know, maybe in the future, I don't know how long we don't have to have that, um, you know, struggle between the money people and and right. the creative. Right. Um, I don't know when that's going to come around, but I do have kind of interest in in supporting that. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to draw stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's cool that people can own my digital art mm -hmm. and that you can prove that there's only one or however many of them. So, um, and I also, you know, I'm interested in cryptocurrency and see a lot of positive. There's definitely a lot of negative things with both, but I see positivity, more mm -hmm. positive things than negative all around. So, okay, I get that. I get that. It's an interesting time for a lot of digital art. Between that and then, uh, like, AI art stuff, like mid-journey. I've been playing around with that, too. Me too, yeah. It's very addictive. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so you're using mid-journey? Mm -hmm. That's what I've been using, yeah. Yeah. I had I'd been <laughs> using it a little too much. I had to take about a week break. But <laughs> then I had to get back on, a, on that AI train. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's that was very eye-opening seeing what uh, Midjourney can do. Yeah. Uh, I haven't used um, much of anything else, but... Um, I know that there's a couple other ones that are better at rendering faces and better at rendering specific... Dolly, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to trying that. And somebody just sent me a uh, tutorial on how to... I could take a scene from one of my shows and put it into this program or whatever, um, I haven't tried it yet, so I don't know how it works. And it'll spit out some kind of AI version of that. What? So that's like the next thing that I'm interested in is is not necessarily like recreating, you know, anything from my show, but seeing AI's version of my art in general, even if it's just like, um, like I, I want to see if AI art can can uh, know my art. Like in Mid Journey, I would type in, in the style of Will Carsola, and it's like, it doesn't know who I am. Yeah. But maybe it will someday. Yeah. And that would yeah. be cool. Like maybe I can just, instead of drawing something every once in a while, throw in some words and see what it spits out. And if it looked like my style, that would be crazy. And <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Hopefully that's right around the corner. I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, but it, it's, again, like I think that there's negative things about it, but there's also positive things about it. So, you know, this isn't going anywhere. Try to use the positive things. Yeah, I mean, my initial response when I was told about it, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Now we have to worry about because mm -hmm. corporations are fucking like uh, making our jobs even less. Yeah, with everything that's going on. So now this is going to be something that like fucking ruins work for all this. But then when I started to mess with it, I was like, "Man, this is like an eye-opening tool." It's a tool, 100%. That's 100%. And I got into it, too, because I, I didn't know how I felt about it. But it, this is, I wasn't always so good at doing this in the past. But what I'm trying to do nowadays is to not knock something before I've tried it or have learned enough about it. Yeah. And so my initial reaction to people telling me about AI was like, ah, pfft, whatever. 
but let me try it. And I got sucked in and was just like, man, this is, this opens up so many creative doorways in my head. Yeah. I started creating like, you know, visuals for storylines and Mr. Pickles. I never got to make. I was, that's fucking rad. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm using it now because I would always use concept artists and I love concept artists. I will always use concept artists for work, but there hits a point when I can't go to a concept artist before the money's in place. Yeah. And there's this delicate balance where in order to get the money, sometimes I need to have art. I need to have stuff that looks really cool. And then also if I'm trying to flush, like, you know, with who's there, like, what the fuck is the world look like inside the door? Like, what does this look like? And if I'm trying to create something, I'm usually referencing art from somewhere else. I'm like, well, maybe something from this movie or like. I dug deep into Bakinski and like all these old like Polish artists and I'm like that's fucking cool and I was deep into that um, but then as I sat down with the AI it wasn't that it was creating what I saw in my head totally because it doesn't mm-hmm. it's so hard if you're fucking trying to do that mm-hmm. it's like I, I should write like how do I put a door on a floor it can like, be the tricky whole proce- yeah the whole process people don't realize it. it it's tricky to get what you want yeah but the accidental shit like i would do something and i would go oh that use of blue in this that is cool and this swirl thing that that's fucking rad like that's what i want and it's not like i'm going to take that art and have that art be the final piece it's like i'm going to take that art and go to a production designer and go like what if we do that so that's kind of uh where my mindset was and i think i've kind of gone a little beyond that since but you know i first was looking at it as I was exploring it, like, oh, this is going to be great for art references. Yeah, I'll be able to kind of paint the picture of what I want to do, let it take me down a path I wasn't expecting, like a mistake, and then, um, you know, use that as the art reference, recreate it, and then that'll be the thing. And then, uh, you know, I would go down these rabbit holes for so long, like really trying everything I can think of to get it to look like what I want it to look like at least like 90% there and it would just take like tweaking the word this much or tweaking the order and hours of this after a certain point of time it, something changed in my brain where I was like huh maybe this is the art maybe there is a point where words can become paintbrushes and I don't think it is comparable to art as we know it I think it's just in a new category yeah because that is the art the descriptors yeah and how you lay it out. But I wouldn't so like something that say I spent like three hours or five hours on trying to, you know, get it right. I wouldn't compare that to something like you just put in a sentence, thirty seconds later you got a result. Like I wouldn't say that those two are the same for some reason. And I'm trying to understand why. It's just a weird new area. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's but I, I mean no, it's weird, man. Even if I think about it, because I, one would assume that if you're using your hand to draw something, mm-hmm. right, you're being specific. You're, you're like that move is, you know, that if you move your hand from left to right, you're going to get a line that goes from left to right. Right. Which isn't that way when you're doing AI stuff. You may write left to right, and that thing will suddenly give you a fucking swirl because it doesn't understand what totally. the fuck that is. And the, I've, You've obviously gone further down the rabbit hole than I have. (laughs) But, you know, the harder I would fucking wrestle it, the more I would get frustrated by it because it couldn't see my brain. It couldn't see what was going on in my brain. It is frustrating. Yeah, in that regard, sometimes it can take even longer than just drawing the line, right? Yeah. It's almost like... 
I just I haven't even thought of this before. It just occurred to me another weird rabbit hole to go down in this area. While you're talking, I was thinking, well, is there much difference between typing in words to get that line or your mind telling your hand to draw? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Yeah, obviously there's a difference, but like, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it's it's crazy new area, new territory. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because then your technique isn't just hand steadiness. Your technique is now wordplay. And, and not even just wordplay, just understanding the algorithm. Because what you're doing is wrestling some fucking weird algorithm. Yeah, yeah. It's strange, man. Uh, I, But, you know, I look at it from the you know point of view that I'm, I'm trying to use it as a tool. And I don't, you know, I don't, it seems to be evolving so fast that, that's the other scary it thing. It is scary. It's uh, equally scary as it is uh, inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, because they're really figuring out. The other the other issue, too, which is the one that I've been glaring, that has been glaring at me, is that a lot of the kids that are using it will go to, like, concept art or concept world and then take another artist and be, like, in the style of this artist, in the style of that artist. And, uh, you know, what are the what are the... It's a weird area too. Yeah, what are the consequences of that? And like, is a what is intellectual property and what is not intellectual property at that point? Yeah, I mean, like in the area of considering what is art and what isn't when it's AI art. I mean, there's definitely a difference when you're typing in like something that makes it look like Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't seem like it would be in the same category. But I mean, and then it maybe would be in a different category if it if I would if I could get AI to know my style. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, is that any less or any more actual art? I don't know. Well, it's, yeah, and if it is your style, and then you're just telling it what it is that you want to see, and it's still it's pulling that off for you. It's crazy, man. Yeah, it's a mind fuck. <laughs> it is a mind fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, I have fucking enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, this has been great. This is a great conversation. I'm happy you came by, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, Real I appreciate fun. this, and I hope everybody uh, listened from two old beard dudes there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our beards are pretty pretty close in size. Yeah, fuck you. Yours is much longer than mine. <laughs> I mean, I you got a couple inches on you, right? Yeah, I've been that length. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is just... You know what the funny thing with beards with me? I don't know if I've said it on the show. Um, I have had one since I can grow one. And it was... Big part of it was when I was in my early 20s, I would have gaffers and grips that were in their 40s and 50s. And I'm like, I grow a beard. Because <laughs> then I start to tell them things. They go, "All right, this guy knows what's up." And there's something about walking in a room with a beard, especially with beard with some gray in it. Yeah, people mine's go, getting gray too. Yeah, people are like, uh, "He's got, he's got some time." <laughs> I grew mine out longer than this. I mean, this is as long as it grows now, uh-huh. but I, it was longer once in my twenties. And when I cut it all off, I didn't recognize myself, and I was like, "Next time, I'm just going to keep it that way." <laughs> <laughs> you know, dude, I, I haven't shaved my beard in yeah. like twenty years. <laughs> it's like it's not happening. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not happening, man. But uh, this has been great, man. Thanks for being on. The yeah, show. let's do it again sometime. There it is. Today's episode in the can. I love it when guests come into the space. I fucking do, man. I've, I form such a stronger bond with the guests as we sort of sit and chew on pretzels and 
and uh, stare into each other's eyes. <laughs> and uh, Will and I really got along. Did you? Could you hear it in the show? Because I felt it. And it's it's so wild when you meet a kindred spirit. You meet someone that is is suffering the same way that you're suffering, creatively, emotionally. And there just is a moment. There was a moment when we were talking where, like, he looked at me and I looked at him and he went, like, we're doing the same fucking thing, man. We're doing the same fucking thing. And it's, and I wasn't kidding when I said during the interview, it's, it's hard for dudes to do that. It's hard for dudes to open up and be uh, vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable with each other. And, and uh, we're all supposed to do that now. And it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Conversations become more enriched. Uh, you end up learning a lot more about yourself. Uh, his little tip on meditation. I really fucking dig that shit. I'm probably going to try that out, actually. I'm definitely going to try that out. I like how he was getting into it. His labeling of like what those thoughts were. Is this a future thought or is this a past thought? And then what does that mean as it comes into your head? pretty cool stuff pretty weird shit i'll tell you this the uh michael from the past the dude that uh was back in boston dealing with all sorts of stress and aggro shit would be like who is this asshole talking on the microphone right now (laughs) but uh you know i i'm trying to be better trying to be i'm trying to make my work better i'm trying to be happier in this world in which I'm not allowed to do what it is that I want to do all the time, the way I thought that I want to do it, I need to find a way to just be happy and exist and create and fuck them. It'll come to me and one way or another. People will show up and, and ask to see my work as long as I'm happy doing it. And uh, I don't want to be, you know, angry all the time, you know, because I just found like I was frustrated consistently. So... Um, I like this dude a lot. Uh, I, f- I felt the same way when uh, Jonathan, Big Black Delta, and I hang out. I feel like the three of us should all get together. That would be a fun hangout. Uh, but uh, what did you guys think? And what's going on with you? What's new? Have you guys seen anything? Uh, Gina and Ian, Spencer and I, have been watching. Uh, I've, I've got them on the show The Offer on uh, Paramount+. Plus. And uh, they're actually in the space with me right now. They're pretending like they're not in the room. But uh, it's actually a good show. Grab that microphone. Turn that microphone around. What do you think of the show? We're obsessed with it. My name is Ian Spencer, and it's a good show. Hi, I'm Gina, and uh, I just can't look away from Miles Teller. (laughs) (laughs) You guys haven't seen uh, The Godfather yet. Are you excited to see The Godfather? I am. I'm extremely excited. I've seen it. I just don't remember it. Yeah. Having as much of an influence as the show is making me feel as though it will. Okay. For those of you who don't know, if I didn't say it already, The Offer is a show and a narrative show about uh, Ruddy, the producer of The Godfather. Uh, and he talks, uh, the show goes into detail on, it's pretty true to life, on how the mob was involved, how they had to deal with the mafia, and the all the steps involved with the studios and everything else to get Godfather made. Um, and the characters are fantastic. The actors are fantastic. I think one of the best parts of the show is the voices for me. I love the voices that all the, these the, these actors have given these characters. Um, it's a really fun fucking show. It's one of the better shows. It reminds me, I think it's on level with like Marvelous Ms. Maisel for me. 
I think so. It's one of the characters sounds exactly like one of the other characters in that show. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But as far as like cinematic uh, storytelling uh, techniques are concerned, it's really great. So if you guys haven't seen it yet, and no, I'm not sponsored by Paramount Plus. Yeah. Um, but if you guys haven't seen the show yet, you should definitely check it out. Um, and then watch The Godfather. You know, so. What are you guys watching? What's new? Write me a note on uh, Instagram. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what you think of these recent episodes. I think I've, I've done a pretty good job curating some pretty solid interviews on the show. You know, it isn't just about me saying fuck all the time, even though people say, even though people say that I swear too much on this show. Uh, there is some in-depth, deep conversations that happen every once in a while, and I hope you guys enjoy them and appreciate them because they uh, affect me when I get to have them. Um, and uh, I, I mentioned it during the interview. I enjoy doing the show. I really do. I really like the stuff that we uh, find and discover together, you and me, as we hang out with these people that bring something interesting into our lives. So uh, that's it, man. Thanks for listening. And uh, as always, I will see you next Tuesday. Uh-huh.